Hey, how's it going? Uh, happy birthday, Benno. Uh, wanted to uh, wish you the best. I know you were uh, giving wrestling a shot, but now you're a, a podcaster, which is probably uh, will be a, uh, a little bit easier on your uh, CTE. Um, I love the fact that you like watching Magic Mike Hickerxell. It's uh, I kind of like watching it myself. And I heard you've been having some trouble with your neighbors. So uh, maybe we go over there and maybe give them a little beating. Something to think about. So uh, hope all's well. And uh, take care, man. Have a great birthday. All right, man. Happy birthday, my man. Bye. Hello and welcome to Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Benham. And I'm JP. I know Gareth with us this week. He's been uh, pulled away, non-Grapple business. We were just talking about it in the uh, the pre-show, weren't we, JP? People have got a suspicion of where he is. Yes. NXT UK, you know, has he been signed up? AW UK, is he, is he starting a something with Big Tone, some other business venture? I mean, the truth of the matter is he just got called away on some, uh, some work business uh, very last minute, but, you know, uh, it's been a weird week. You guys covered the weekend show without me on uh, on Friday as well, so we're just yeah. fixing things up, JP, and just making it feel a little bit different this week. Great job, by the way, on that. Thank you very much. I, I will always say that a lot of these poor bastards listening always have to listen to me. I'm like the, the horrible, deathly constant. You're the consistent, yeah. Lives for this. I am the consistent for You're this. You're the engine like, that keeps I can't get away from my voice. Every every day, reading through some news where I'm going, really, is this news? Mm. Like, there's a lot of stuff where it's just people saying shit. But there you are. Um, yes, no, it, you know. Getting more theories in live, JP. Has he gone to Smallman's house for tea? Mm-hmm. As Graps and Claps signed them up, shit, has Andy Ogden oh. done a deal to take Gareth off us? Maybe that's... We had Andy on uh, BWE on uh, on Thursday, you know? Maybe there's some kind of trade right. going on, I don't know. Something, some manoeuvrings behind the scenes. It's this it's this hidden wrestling podcast beer war that's mm. that's about to explode. Like, I, I think that's, that's absolutely fascinating. Mm. And congratulations to Andy for that as well. He's <laughs> got a beer deal, like Beer 52 or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it's b52.com slash graps, I think. If not, look, That's on Andy, it. look on Andy's Twitter. Get it there. Yeah, there you go. He's a little plug for you there, mate. little cheap uh, plug for you there. Oh. As Voices of Wrestling kidnapped him. That's another suggestion. Nick Gage caught up with Grappling Garth and cut his ass. No, we found out after the weekend, JP, after we did the ECW show, uh, he's now uh, he's now Gareth Bischoff. Uh, that's a, that was a shot somebody yes. said on Twitter this week. He was uh, GTR on, uh, on Twitter. That's, that's his name now. Uh, but you never know yet. Nick Gage, <laughs> Grappling Garth, or Gareth Bischoff, whichever. He, he might have been found out. Very true. But um, not, not like another cameo that we did manage to hear. <laughs> oh, mate. Thank you for that. Well. Like you, you, I believe you, you Martin, Gareth, and uh, Will and James, you sorted that out for me. You were, yeah, a cameo yeah. from which I imagine I'll end up putting at the start of this podcast. Uh, Kevin Nash wishing me, a, wishing me a happy birthday for Saturday. It's not It's not yet, everyone. It's uh, it's later uh, later this week. But yeah, uh, Kevin Nash. I never thought I'd live to see the day, JP, where one, Kevin Nash was commending me for being a Magic Mike Triple XL fan. Two, was putting me over for escaping wrestling and the uh, the CTE within, uh, and three threatening to come and fight me neighbors for me. So there you go. We always say good things about Big Mate. Sexy Kevin Nash. So uh, it continues on. Magic Mike XXXXL, <laughs> and he turns up. He's in Liverpool. 
come oh could you imagine G- mm. genie's reaction if big fucking sexy turns up the door or fucking <laughs> six but eight of him just him round toxter <laughs> mate you'd be mobbed it'd be like the beatles you clean up he would love it he would mm. absolutely clean up <laughs> it'd be like that photo of him in mania that mm. one year it was like him and there's about like eight women around him oh the, the kevin ash fan club thing yes <laughs> it's just like yeah grapple gap new everton manager unless he yeah god <laughs> i'm just thinking what sarah would be like <laughs> alex if it was like something like that happening that would be the yeah is there any news on that on right, Doug gate no like i say they're all waiting for kevin ash to come now this is this is just a yeah carl asking us in our heart chat any news on the dog shit gate yes um, sorry no there's um unfortunately yeah it's been quiet i was away um this weekend mm. came home no new dog shit no no new uh no new issues i mean mate alan was kind enough to come around and feed me cat and yeah my security camera went off for that jp oh. but other than that we're uh we're all right but it's good to know if i ever am in trouble you know big sexy is uh is gonna turn up and he's got me back even if yeah as uh as i said by jp James Lynn in the chat there, he was. He seemed either high, sleepy, he'd had a few glasses of wine, or both yeah, oh, in that video. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go to uh, either, yeah, go to my Twitter to uh, to, to see the, uh, the the full video or uh, or Martin's Twitter there. But yeah, hey, he's, he's having a good Saturday night just talking about me, JP. You know, that, that's fine with me. I was absolutely made up because obviously you've met him before. Mm, you've that's met true. you've met all of all of the Wolfpack. Mm. You've been there before. So it was it was great. Sadly, didn't remember me to be honest, but you know, you, there's only uh, there's only somewhere he did. Gonna... How don't you know that he didn't remember you? I would say that he did remember you. Uh... Like, of course, he remembers. You. He knows who Benno is. Everyone knows who Benno is, mate. Yeah, like, as as Gunny said, was in trouble on Twitter. <laughs> Look, I've been very quiet this weekend. I was I was enjoying the sun yeah, this weekend, JP. You uh, you saw me at the height yeah. of it when we did the the ECW review. I was in in London this weekend. It was fucking 28, 29 degrees and as a ginger person who tries to enjoy the sun, and I do I do genuinely like like sitting out in the sun and like and, and, and you know going on like little summer holidays and things like that. Fuck me, was I pink? Um coming out of those couple of days. I've uh, I've recovered oh. a little bit now. I'm not not too bad, but fuck me. Um yeah, I'm not getting the uh, the big sexy Kevin Nash tan. It's not happening for me. Oh mate, it was it was blisteringly hot. It was mm. ridiculous this weekend. I was out on some walks and it was like, oh my God, like glorious stuff. Mm. Like very, very nice. Between that and a lot of the football that I watched oh. over the last few days. Mm. Um yeah, my We've been God. getting and... live updates on the football during our, our Patreon pre-chat. Mm. It felt a bit felt a bit like Soccer Saturday today because we've all got uh, dogs in the fight with uh, with fantasy football. <laughs> so like I, I was hoping yes. Mbappe, a couple of couple of teasers for me, no point for me so far. But yeah, because I was out and about really, I haven't seen a huge amount of the footy, like I was saying to you on the pre-show. The only thing I've really seen mm. I, I Unfortunately, happened to be sat at a pub during the, the Christian Eriksen incident, and that was fucking hard to watch. Um, like I say, not not knowing what was even happening, you know, to the point where it was like, you know, mm. the, the pub I was in didn't have audio one. It was like, okay, somebody's on the ground. What the fuck's going on? Okay, people are crying now. What the fuck? Then the BBC started showing, and it's not even just. I shouldn't say that I fell into that trap. It's not the BBC. It's you know. It's FIFA or UA. It's UEFA, isn't it? It's UEFA. UEFA who are in charge of you know what the cameras show, and the showing is. 
poor wife on the touchline and uh, refusing to cut away to just you know just tell all the countries to go back to the studio maybe um that was fucking surreal watching that live like in a pub perspective again like i say not knowing what was going on and having to search twitter to figure out like who was on the ground and finding out it was christian erickson and then yeah subsequently kind of just staring at the tv going how is this still on tv at this point what the fuck um yeah, I wish, I wish, I wish that wasn't the the one game I've managed to see live so far. But that was the one. Oh God, it was. I mean, like everybody else, it's just like some of the the most. It was terrifying. Mm-hmm. I think it's the only way of describing it because in real time you're watching somebody's life in like in the in the balance mm-hmm. in front of it, all happening in real time, completely out of the blue. One of these just kind of like you know you're talking what twenty nine year old man like in the prime of his kind of like athletic career mm. having a cardiac arrest it's just terrifying and like all of the things about having the defibrillator and and everyone out there really quickly and like the the danish players by all accounts the story that has i mean i know peter schmeichel was saying this um the idea that they were basically forced to play it they were told they've had to play it 50 minutes later mm. play it at 12 o'clock next day or they'd be forfeiting the match three nil mm. like that's what they what they said for that. that that's UEFA for you, who obviously controlled the the television as well. And I don't think the host broadcasters were effectively allowed to cut away because I, I think until there was like a kind of clear update on what had happened. So, but then I saw people blame the BBC for the shadow on the pitch. I mean, you know me, JP. Like, I'll, I'll take I'll take yeah. any opportunity to have a oh, yeah. BBC. But you know, even I'm like, come on, like no. that's not their fault. I mean, maybe maybe they could have made an executive decision and ignored UEFA and just gone back to the, the the studio. But from the sounds of it, like the in fairness, you know, that the people in the studio weren't dealing with it particularly well either because they'd seen no. it live like everybody else. So I, you know, that, that Alex is Scott issue, was in but, tears. Yeah, no one could talk. Mm. It was like. Um, and I think there was, I hate to say this, there was just one moment where you could see Ericsson's face, mm. I think, during it. And it was very grey and ashen. And I think mm. at that point, there was just like, you know, every, you know, welling up. My son was welling up. Like It was mm. just like, oh, my God, like kind of watching something like this about how traumatising it is. But Jesus Christ. And so I found after that, it's been a little bit difficult getting in back into it in any kind of like way because cool. it's it's still like mm. kind of such a such a big story well it and is the i mean out there's follow-up and like even like a wrestling point of view there's like a conversation to mm. be had. like i've seen you know people like say yeah. you know, do tweets like i'm i won't be at a wrestling show now unless there's a medical professional there and it's it's funny because like you know dylan roberts like a northwest based wrestler he was my tag team partner for a show <laughs> um you know he, he was the he was the guy in training and i always talk about as like the the one who was uh he was the he was the much more skilled um version of me and clearly still wrestling today so that tells you uh, how much better than me he was but he's also you know in his in his real life he you know he works on ambulances he works for he's a registered paramedic and he like he's been doing posts this week saying you know obviously you know when he's at shows he gets called called a lot to like you know help out and stuff and he's you know he's always willing to do that i remember working on shows like you know 2006 2007 with um deck who i think you might have met at one point jp who's you know so. based on the name you can probably guess dr gimmick 
he was he is literally a doctor he's a gp you know and he's usually you know if something goes wrong somebody hurts themselves they usually call used to call dirk over and you know that's kind of the role you fall into if you become like a even if you're just like a registered first aider at a, wrestl- at a wrestling show mm-hmm. you kind of end up getting called over and, and he was talking about it and kind of saying you know in an ideal world venues should have a de- defibrillator because that's what saved christian erickson's life in this particular mm-hmm. incident but you know not necessarily every venue is going to be able to afford it you know everyone talks about the fact that well every show should have a full paramedic with full kit and he, he even dylan was saying you know I, i'm not even I, I don't really think most shows are going to be able to afford that realistically i don't think that's going to happen you can have registered first aiders you know there are other ways you can do about it but you know as far as having fully trained medical professionals there i don't think people re- realize how much mm. that costs um but he's he has talked about it saying you know he's willing to to go to shows and you know if there's any local promoters here you know he's not looking for a booking um you know he's got enough bookings but he's kind of saying yeah you know if you want me to come and talk to your roster i'm willing to do that and give them advice on what you should do you know in a, in a, in a situation like that but it does open the conversation up doesn't it of like obviously with the with the, the eyes of the world watching on a big football sh- um game like this then yes of course you know you're going to be able to get the first class um you know recovery um there and you're going to have you know the, the defibrillator there and you're going to have all of the help you need but you know sports in any arena including you know lower level wrestling you know it, it's terrifying if something like this happened there yeah absolutely terrifying and and um you know a couple of things to bring up from the chat on here about mentioning that um it was silver king wasn't it, mm. it was silver king who died at the yeah, um the yeah. show at the, at the roundhouse mm. um and again it, it it seems like it's in some ways the venue themselves should have a defibrillator defibrillator because if they're having events that are going to be on the base of being athletic, it's the kind of thing like a first aid kit that you'd expect a kind of reasonable venue to have. Mm. Um, the idea of, and again, this is when we, this goes into the kind of bigger conversation about when we speak about British wrestling kind of being professional and the rest of it. The idea that you've got people who have done proper first aiders and and are able to do uh, risk assessments as will in the chat mentions here. I mean, they're things that are incredibly important. They're the kind of basics. So if I'm doing a trip with students, I need to make sure I've done risk assessments and, and the rest of it. And that, that like first aid kits are there and various kind of things about that. And it's, it, they need to be doing that with wrestling. I mean, I always think it's very notable. If you go to the cockpit in the front row, there's always two St. John's ambulance people sat there for that. Mm. Um, and I think you always generally see them at like kind of. I mean, you see that at most of the shows as well. I think even at Progress, you would you would kind of see them around. Um, but it's yeah, it, it it's one of the things that you know this is too serious not to do it. And I think there's there's like a massive lesson because if that can be basically a a, a kind of fifty fifty situation mm. with Christian Eriksson, what happens at these smaller shows? where there isn't those kind of facilities. And I think I remember hearing somebody say that there was like a 7% chance um, of him surviving. And then with the defibrillator, it goes up to 70. Mm. Is one of the things I heard commented about that. So like the absolute change if you've had a cardiac arrest. Yeah. Mm. And another thing, you know, this has also been mentioned in the chat, is about the next World Cup in Qatar. Mm. in extreme heat yeah 
there's going to be a lot of that. Um, it's going to, like, like Will said there, it's going to be a death trap considering uh, the heat, you know. And, you know, as you said, their players struggle playing cricket. Never mind, never mind football. Um, that's yeah. going to, that's going to be, going to be a fight. But, um, yeah, I was going to say, you know, on, on a brighter note, yeah. If, if, so if you've been enjoying the Euros in general, JP, uh, I've noticed there uh, we have our, we have our grapple fancy uh, football yes. league running. I, I did cave at the last minute. It was like two hours before deadline. I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to do a team, and I've been paying attention to it but not like the the strongest i'm trying to do my subs each day but i have made the same mistake as you jp and i've got a goalie who's playing he's got two points and i've got like 17 points on the bench from my uh my other goalie um we're all in uh little situations like that it takes a lot it's a lot of effort these uh these world cup uh versions of fantasy football but yeah if, if you put it in it'll pay off i'm i'm somewhere like mid table at the moment of the 85 teams who've uh who signed up which is good going made up with that considering uh, we only had a, a couple hours worth of uh of notice for it but i don't think you're doing uh doing much better at the moment oh no you know the young bucks are like 66 <laughs> like, they're uh i thought it was all right um that yeah they're doing terribly it's mm-hmm. been it's been awful it just feels like i've made loads of bad choices I, having Lewandowski as captain assuming that he would do something against slovakia was mm-hmm. a was a terrible mistake like i captained the wrong person but looking at it at the moment looking at um where people are in the league mm-hmm. um we've got oscar Muli at um, top with Can- Cancelo culture, but he's not in the tournament now. He had to leave because he, he got COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, would it surprise anyone that, that the Grapple FPL champion, Jordan Steins, that second motherfucker. here. That motherfucker. Point beyond, he's going for the Muller Rice corner. Mm-hmm. Good good shout. I think mm-hmm. That's a great name in and of itself mm-hmm. on here. Yeah, Gareth is um, he's joint 12 with Andy. Um, with Andy Ogden in there as well. We've got um, ah, good old Mecca Shota. He's in tenth. Stimatch FC. Um, Don there. Don Bell in the chant. He's sixth. Chris Lane seventh. Yeah, it's really like it's quite. Beno forty third. You know. Yeah, I thought you were going to keep going then. Um, You're forty third. <laughs> no, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Are you, <laughs> are are you um, FC Shiva again? That's the me. only name you ever go with in fantasy. It's a terrible name as well. It's a, if anyone's ever watched the league, uh, it's literally to do with the uh, the Shiva ball that they used to have in uh, in that great show comedy, great oh. comedy on uh, on FX that uh, found its way onto Netflix about fa- about people in a fantasy football league. Not too dissimilar from us, JP. But I always uh, okay. I always go with that but yeah my team's doing terribly really i captain lukaku on the first or second day um and it's just I, I, i've not i've not won I, he got me 10 points so i've kind of stuck with it uh no not lukaku sorry no uh the insignia uh, i signed him um yeah he's, he's my captain and i guess i've got him on 16 points so we got eight and then it was lukaku the next day who got 10 who i didn't captain which i was a was a big mistake and i've just been too cowardly to switch my captain up but saying that none of my other players have done particularly well so there's not much i can uh i can really grumble about there but yeah it's not it's not going well everyone is uh is the headline there yeah basically it's it's going it's it's going terribly like mm. for, for us but good what luck thoughts to the quality of the football any? and stuff like uh like uh, um, uh, the england game so the game i kind of like if we go talk about the england game like mm. kind of quickly i was i mean i was not very optimistic i mean mm. i'm a republic of ireland fan so like it's it's not something i'm as invested in as everybody else the accent may tell you otherwise, but like that's the way that I am. Um, but also, like they played very well. It was like they, they weren't really in doubt against mm. Croatia. It felt very, very comprehensive, if not mm. particularly exciting at times. Mm. Um, I didn't see the Scotland game. I saw the goal, the second one, and like was just 
from the halfway line. That was like kind of crazy. Mm. I didn't see Holland's Ukraine, which appeared to be the match of the tournament, which was three mm. two to Holland. To be honest, like with a lot of these tournament games, sometimes early on, if you've got that many, because t- it's like there's only eight teams that go out or mm. something along those lines. And it makes you feel like, well, most teams play for a kind of draw and a bit of safety, but that's not really happened so far. Mm. And the smaller sides are generally a bit handier. So like Slovakia beating Poland with the big underachievers in European football. But yeah, it, it's, it looks like actually it's been kind of heating up quite nicely. Mm. Um, it just depends on what the lay of the land is in the last 16 draw. But yeah, England-Scotland will be an event. Is that yeah. Saturday? Friday, is it, I think? It's oh, is this, it Brian, eh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that. I just think I found it weird from the bits I have seen as well, like the, the different atmospheres at different stadiums and the, the fact that, like, you know, sometimes it's fine to be completely full. Sometimes it's not. Like, obviously, the Wembley games coming up as well are going to be allegedly full capacity. I mean, fuck me. I mean, <laughs> we're in a country where, like, you know, all of our freedoms that were coming next week have been uh, have been put back, but it's still fine to uh, to mm-hmm. get all those people in a football stadium. I say that. I was in London at the weekend, like I said earlier, and we were in uh, in Shoreditch and uh, Shoreditch High Street on a, on a Saturday night, JP. There's no such thing as COVID. Um, or no. there is, and it's entirely centralised on a Shoreditch High Street on a, on a Saturday night. Fucking hell. Yeah. That was terrifying. Um, probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't be shocked, actually. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, weird um, that, that that's going to be allowed to go go ahead. And it's just weird that, like, yeah, there's, there's all these different rules depending on where it is. It is so weird because, like, mm. Hungary-Portugal today was played in front of 60,000. Mm. Like, it, it, whereas the France game tonight was kind of very, like, and it, it, to be honest, it's dependent on the country. Mm. whether or not they decide to do it mm. and i don't get the impression that victor orban in hungary gives two shits mm. about covid like he's a bit of an authoritarian 61 whereas 000. i can't imagine i know mm. whereas you're looking at like in france like we you know they're not going to be doing that with like under macron are mm. they so like it's, <laughs> it's it's so very yeah it's very very weird I mean, there's loads of things to come to. I mean, like we, so it's another four weeks. It's going to be July. It's going to be interesting what happens with any of these shows. I know we heard the BWR have cancelled a show over here in the UK as well. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with some of the changes of these in the next um, few weeks because it all comes under the nightclub kind of restrictions, doesn't it? Mm. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And it's all weird. Like the, the rules are, I think essentially you know like tnt was coming up and we were all planning on going to it and now our mm. plans are a little bit um like a little bit up in the air because of it because i think it will continue like because future shop managed to run you know last week so it'll be like that really i'd imagine with like distancing and maybe some kind of test on your way in and not full capacity uh, allegedly um, is the is the idea um but yeah i think it'll basically be treated like that yeah because obviously the nightclubs are going to stay closed and yeah all the stuff's going to stay closed for another month i don't know i can live with another month i can wait another month but um after that <laughs> so we've waited we've yeah. waited this long haven't we mm, yeah that's true like it in my case, it's just like it's four more weeks of this. Mm. Okay, mm. it'll just be what it is, mm. effectively. Yeah, and um, I saw. Yeah, I did see today as Matthew's put in the chat there. Rev Pro a, a due to update about what's going on with with their shows in July because they obviously had their early July shows coming up too. Um, so it'll be interesting to see exactly mm. how they make uh, that work and and how promotions do. But again, you know, you can have sixty odd thousand in Wembley. So what's the issue? Bring it all back, JP. <laughs> well, exactly. It's like the states, isn't it? 
Mm. Well, it's all completely over now at this point. Mm, and uh, as as we we'll, as we saw in the Capital Wrestling Centre. <laughs> oh yes. They, oh yeah. yeah. So we'll uh, we'll get into that. But uh, obviously, before we do, um, you know the. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this weekend uh, on the Patreon side, we did do um, our latest flashback episode as chosen by Gunny, uh, King of the Mountain. We talked some ECW One Night Stand from 2005, and hey, that was a fun trip down memory lane. Um, that's a hell of a show. Oh, yeah. Still still stands up in hindsight, even if all of the matches don't particularly stand up. But as far as like entertainment value and as far as like talking points go, that was a fun one to do this weekend, JP. It was. It was another another great selection. Like I know sometimes like people will give us praise for the like the patron shows. It's like, well, actually, we've been given some really fun topics to kind yeah. of go into as well. And this was another one. Um, thank you, Gunny. Um, but yeah, looking back on it, kind of strange. Mm-hmm. The uh, the the tale of how Mike Awesome decides. Right, I'm going to kind of take over a lot of this pay per view by stealth at the end. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's a the bit with their Lord of the Rings, like multiple endings on mm. there as well. Just a, a kind of a, a wild show, a kind of fun time that mm. inevitably leads to more disappointing content in terms of like ECW. Mm. Um, yeah, looking at you zombies, whatever <laughs> it is. But yeah, that was really great fun to do as well. Um, mm. We obviously did our, our weekend preview of the other mm. things that are on Patreon as well. Um We've also had our daily updates at the same time. And those of you who would like to see us doing this show as well, you can also subscribe to that on Patreon and watch us. You can see Benno's fantastic backdrop and my curtains. I I was on a... um, Patreon got in touch today. That's how important we are, JP. Well, they got in touch last week, but they asked us to do a... Basically, they're doing like a survey thing of like changes that are coming up to patreon so for some reason i got an email i don't know why i'm sure there's much more successful podcasters they could get in touch with but it's definitely i had this meeting there with isn't. like these these three women from patreon in like business clothes who were all like <laughs> professional in their office with like professional backgrounds or green screens and the gobshite with the aw ring in the background and a load of wrestling posters on the wall and they were like oh do, do you do a podcast about wrestling? I was like, yeah. Like, oh, I don't really know much about wrestling. I was like, yeah, that's fair enough. You know, I don't, don't expect you to. I'd be shocked <laughs> if they did. It was the weirdest Just fucking went, thing. Yeah. It's when I stopped watching when CZW got born. <laughs> they were impressed, though, by, by the, you know, the content that we put out and the, the amount of stuff that we oh. put out there. And they thought we were a bit crazy, to be honest, which we kind of are uh, with the... With the amount of they're not wrong we, yeah that we do pour out but yeah obviously if you if you want more of that you can uh, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash grapple like say ecw one night stand review which again was a fun one and had a great chat with uh with gunny at the start of that and got to to go down uh, memory lane and talk about the uh, the awkwardness of steve austin and sandman and like you said the awesomeness of mike awesome um trying to kill himself on that show um it was a it was a it was a good old laugh but yeah obviously get all of that stuff jp's daily updates and yeah we'll have polls coming on, on the page on this week um to do with uh, our next uh, couple of bonus shows uh, we're looking at a mixtape episode and we're looking at a film club episode so yeah hopefully we can maybe do a bit better than the uh, the punisher this time which was uh, a struggle <laughs> to make a podcast out of Please, last no. but uh, you know what could you do sorry i'm not slagging off kevin nash the uh, the daddy of this podcast but rough film that one uh, we'll try and uh, oh he's great a more fun one the punisher time. in all 90 seconds that he's in it yes <laughs> all 90 seconds he's in it the rest of it is 
punishingly average and yeah. if only he'd killed those housemates it would have been an infinitely better film and the best thing is even kevin nash agrees um yeah i saw yeah. It recently even calling it a piece of shit so there we go big kev is on but magic size. mike xxl big fan he's big. good in that uh, he's got good, yeah he's got tarzan good got good taste you just see it's a bit like going on the road with the boys magic mike xxl so i think kevin nash can, yeah. uh, can see a bit of himself in it and uh i don't know carl gack is a, is a double king of the mountain boy hornswoggle film club as he's just suggested in the chat i don't know what that means Absolutely um, fucking not. No. <laughs> hey if he asks them Jimmy, we might we might consider it no. <laughs> but yeah patreon.com slash grapple for all of that but uh and mm-hmm. you know like jp said also get, get our live shows get our pre-show chats as well where we talk some this week talk some traits Tape trading, Don West, um, who we send a uh, good, big, uh, good vibes oh. out to and, uh, and thoughts to. Yeah. Um, and we talked a little bit about, about uh, you know, just uh, the football in general. But yeah, obviously, uh, uh, yeah, the, the Don West story broke while we were on the pre show earlier today. So yeah, we uh, wish the best to him. But yeah, you can get all, all of that chat over there. But yeah, we should uh, move on um, to the, the newsworthy shows and, and topics uh, this week. Uh, I don't know, where should we start, JP? We've got uh, the Dynamite Kid documentary. We've got Dynamite itself. We've got NXT Takeover. We've got a. Uh, Plenty. It's like a bit of a mixed, almost oh, a mixtape of, of an episode today. A mix of uh, of different it interesting is, uh, subjects to talk about. Yeah, there's a little bit of kind of like it's more like individual matches that mm. we've seen on there as well. Mm. I mean, I suppose the latest show was NXT Takeover. If mm. you want to go through, if you'd like to go through that first of all, he says through gritted, but, but I'll talk about it. No. <laughs> yeah. It is a thing that happens. I didn't like it. I'd rather talk about the that misery happened. guts that is Dynamite Kid than this, but that'll come. Uh, that'll come later. Um, fuck. <laughs> yeah, this was. I was this the worst takeover? I think that's a fair shout. And that, did right. you include NXT UK in that? Because to be fair, NXT UK haven't had bad takeovers. Really, like mm. I know we've slagged them. There was off. one very good match. Yeah, say that. Maybe not the overall shows have always been great, but there's usually something on it that makes them worthwhile, even when we're shitting on the fact that Joe Coffey's in the main event. You know, there's usually something. This was just a just a field of average, wasn't it? It was just poor. Um, I don't know. Like it, it sums up my interest in NXT JP. That like a you know at a point this weekend, I just happened to see tweets of people going, "Oh yeah, NXT is," you know, just a couple of like random tweets about NXT or things that were happening, and I, like people must have been watching the the pre-show, and I just forgot what day it was. I was look, I was looking at my phone under the assumption, oh NXT was on, like oh it's on, it's on, yeah, as usual, yeah, you get on my timeline now. You get like hundreds of people talking about AW Dynamite, and you know maybe ten talking about NXT the TV show, and then it dawned on me when it hit one o'clock, I was like, oh, oh, there is a takeover tonight, isn't there? Oh yeah, JP and Gareth previewed this on the preview show. This is a real thing that's happening, and yeah, bang average is is the word, and as James Lynn said in the chat, there they need to. Yeah, this fucking this building like this oh, oh this capital wrestling center vibe is just it's death isn't it it's the the whirlwind of noise and commentary and the black hole that it is and yes they had people there for this show but it still sounds fake as as anything uh they're hard to watch these takeovers, aren't they? Like, I just, I, I don't, yeah. I'm not. The thing about it is, I, you know, I was saying this at the weekend. Like, I don't see, I don't think NXT is great. I don't think NXT is terrible. I would be happy if NXT was great. I think it would be more interesting to talk about if NXT was terrible. Instead, mm-hmm. it's just average and it's just boring. And it's, 
just it's not appointment viewing each week and it shouldn't shock us that like yeah i think even i think even triple h knows because yeah i mean i assume you you know obviously yeah from the weekend show you guys saw the uh the conference call that the triple h uh, did uh, Mm. at the tail end of last week where it was basically well if you don't like it don't watch and that worked out well for him remember remember when he uh he he delivered that line on a raw segment uh, about five five or six years ago talking about his friend mark um and said all all his mark does is complain about you should just stop watching raw yeah 4.5 million people watch that show uh how many people watch raw every week now million to a million and a half yeah a million and a half yeah i think there's a million seven on a good week yeah so if you don't like it don't watch is is that is that the advice you want to give to to your fans um if anything i'd be glad people are still talking about it because it's it couldn't feel like a more relevant product at uh, at this point oh absolutely it's it's very it's so it's so stale like you mentioned about the like when you talk about the aesthetics of it, it's been something that just bothers me the entire time. I struggle to watch these shows at the best of times. I was watching it before this, and I was there thinking, I kind of want this to finish so I can start watching a bit of France, Germany before we start recording. Mm. And like it is, it it's just like you say, it's just death. Mm. Everything about it is it brings out the worst instincts because the sets they create it makes them go so much for these entrances and it's just more a show about kind of entrances and a look than anything else at this point Mm. it's just everything is so needlessly performative before they get in the ring Mm. and even now every match kind of it's following these kind of what feel like very nxt tropes so there'll be some sort of wild tag team multi-man match that'll be in there and it's like when you get that at the start mm. you're gonna get a women's title match that's generally okay to good and this mm. one is more very much in the okay range mm. you're gonna get like somebody debuting and generally like i think they the last few tapes they've all really underwhelmed here and my god this gimmick like i've read about it and when you see it, like, what the fuck is this? Just like bollocks. Everything about, and then you've got a main event that's constructed to hide the weaknesses of one of the people who you've put as champion. Mm-hmm. And you put in other people, none of whom should be there. And they're all so stale. And it's the same faces. There's nothing fresh to it. The present, like the, the presentation, the commentary, mm-hmm. the lighting, the whole thing gives me a fucking headache. Yeah. Like, that's how it feels. Like, I'm watching it, and it's just kind of endless. And, you know, God, I found the Tom Todd Pettengill bits were shit, but I was like, oh, at least it's not in that fucking arena. Like, It's still honestly, weird, though, isn't it? Like, this this connection to, like, nostalgia from... Like, they had Pettengill and they had Doc Hendricks, and it was, like, nostalgia from 1996. Like, you know, this is, this is fucking, at this point, we're going back 25 years here. Like, Arpy Crab wasn't, wasn't born at this point. Well, I suppose it's WWE, so, you know, um, they probably were, and considering the, the age of people who watch NXT, but that's part of the problem, I think. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying I didn't get the same entertainment you did out of that but like it kind of sums it up doesn't it that it's like this this shoe limited entertainment mate i wasn't mm. it's like the shoehorned in your house nostalgia isn't it the shoehorned in your it doesn't even work it's like why is this why is nxt in your house Uh, what's nxt got to do with the in your house branding from 1996 don't really get it yeah 
Yeah, I don't understand it at all. It's, it's it's at this point where you look at NXT and fundamentally it's like, well, what is this? Mm. Really, like, what is this at this point? Mm. Because it doesn't feel like it's... It's certainly not, like, developmental. It's not about bringing people up, but it's not bringing people through. No. So it just exists as content at this point. And it's told in a way and you know they found what is like their base audience for it which is mm. like 650,000 at this point mm. and it's not it's just so deathly dull and average i mean i think that i'm trying to think the highest rated match might be like 3.25 from the entire show and yeah. afterwards i came away thinking i've kind of just wasted two and a half hours and i'm also reminding myself why i never watched their tv mm. I'm aware of what happens, but yeah, as a brand, again, this is just one of these things I'm, where it's thinking about it used to be cool, and that seems like a million years ago. I'm I'm not even aware of what happens anymore. Tuesday night comes by, and I'm just like, it doesn't occur to me that it's. I mean, it's tonight. Case in point, for recording on Tuesday night, there's an NXT tonight. Like, I only just realised <laughs> that because we're talking about NXT takeover. It, it doesn't register as on my radar at all. I just don't care about it it just doesn't matter like you know and you know back to the nostalgia point you know as joe and simon are saying in the chat it's nostalgia for a period barely anyone watched and you know that's that's the other thing barely anyone's watching this like it's you know the ratings are shite for nxt yes they're doing better than aw right now because aw is on 10 p.m on a friday you know as soon as aw gets back on a wednesday they'll be absolutely killing them again and yeah it goes to your point there jp like who is this show for? Who is this weekly TV show for? It's not the cool... It was always weird, like, to me, watching WWE, you know, being like... It's a bit like when we talked about ECW One Night Stand, actually. Like, mm. it was funny, like, watching those fans, like, crap all over the WWE and be all like, oh, this is the alternative. It was like, no, Vince still funds this, what you're on about. And that was always the weird place NXT was in. It was like, oh, it's the cool indie. Cool Uncle Trips is in charge. Let's send him a fucking fruit basket. And it was like, yes, but... It's still the WWE. It's not that much counterculture. Yeah. But to the credit, they managed to market it that way. And they had this stream of indie guys they could sign that kept it hot. And, you know, it's against that conference call that the, the Triple H had where the, where the, but he basically made the point of, oh, you know, everyone, everyone used to complain that nobody stayed around at NXT too long. And now everyone complains that people stay there too long. And it's like, no, I don't think anyone was complaining about that. I think it was, if anything, it was one of the big positives of NXT was that people came and went that, you know, that, that like, yes, there were individual reigns that you might say, oh, maybe if they got, maybe if Samoa Joe got another couple of months, maybe if Nakamura got another month there, or you know what I mean? Or maybe, and there are people like, you know, like Almas and, you know, even Tommy End, who you might go, you know what? I'm actually sad they got called off because it went to shit. But as far as as far as like the NXT product itself, it always benefited from that, from remaining fresh and not being stagnant. And I just feel like I put NXT on now and I could be watching any show. Oh, there goes Johnny Gargano making a tit of himself. Yes, there's some new faces, but those new faces are fucking Killer Cross and whatever Eli Drake is called now, um, LA Night Trainers or whatever he is. Like... That's their version of like freshening things up now, and it's just it's an absolutely stale, dead brand, and just yeah, doesn't just doesn't matter uh, in the grand scheme of things. Like I say, it was if anything, I wonder. Like as Will said there in the chat, you know, the point of NXT says there was to sell Hunter as their replacement for Vince, and you know, obviously now he's in the doghouse. There's no point, and I agree with that because I think what it felt mm-hmm. like listening to that conference call. 
and what it felt like watching this show is Triple H has just given up. <laughs> He's just, yeah, at one point he was really motivated about creating this alternative brand and being cool Uncle Trips and, you know, doing all his, uh, even his fucking, even his pointy finger photos are being photoshopped now. Do you see the one with Miko from this week? Uh, you I know, did. It's, it's all very fun. Then he's doing these conference calls and I honestly think he gets wound up because he can't fix any of this because like Meltzer asked, I think Meltzer it was asking him about like you know when people go to the main roster why don't things work and it was he was like oh you know it's, it's a bit like in like you know when you go from one league to another and you know it's like he can't really give you a straight answer because he has no power to put things right anymore and yeah th- this show has been as Gareth will say a lot has been polluted by you know main roster issues and because it's a weekly show on usa now they feel like they've got that master to save and if anything it's regressed rather than progressed yep uh the move from two from an hour to two hours was was bad Mm. that was the thing like they kind of overexposed it whereas for the one hour show they kept people hot they weren't on every week. There was like an element of people always seeming fresh. And then the takeovers felt special because they were like an elongated version where you had that. Whereas here, this goes into sort of what is very rote WWE storytelling. And you were saying like what it is. I was like thinking to myself, if you just, if you put a load of purple in instead of the um, black and gold, hmm. then effectively it's 205 Live. Hmm. It's no different to that. Hmm. It feels kind of exactly the same. It's incredibly nondescript, just more higher profile, obviously. But it's 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 also as well if your your pattern for this is that you sign someone up and that kind of keeps things fresh and keeps things hot. There's a problem when you sign everybody up, and then at, at that point, and it feels like they they burn through a lot of these kind of stars, and without like the lot of the indie stars, without those indie stars reaching the heights they kind of should have d- done in in WWE. So mm. now you've got a, a point where really who is there to bring in? There's nobody they could bring into. I mean, Walter, having Walter in NXT, I don't think that would make any difference to NXT in terms of ratings. Better matches. He's the one who seems to just get the idea of, I'm just going to ignore the way that they produce matches and not do that. But... Mm-hmm. Everything there is it's, and it also because it 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 now follows the house style. It follows the house style of matches. It follows, follows the, the house style of stories. The house style of presentation. So therefore, it's it's part of that. And the reason why it worked is it wasn't the house style, but they're so wedded to that, and the people behind the scenes are so wedded to that. And it's you know, and we've just said for a long time, well, the emperor has no clothes. This mm-hmm. isn't working. And it's like you say, they've lost two thirds of their audience mm. since he said that like six years ago. Mm. That's not a, that's that's not a lion. And and I think he's, when you mention about him giving up as a booker, it, it feels like that. These are this is just shit. Mm. Like a lot well, of these stories. I mean, you look at that Zia Lee stuff. Like, fuck me. Like what is it? Some ten thousand old year old witch. Mm. Mm. I, I mean, you look at that and go like, well, at this point, let's put that on SmackDown or whatever. Everyone's that's got to that cool. have those big, dramatic, like, entrance. Okay, this it's like, when it's, it's a oh. remake movies argument. It's like, well, she's going to come out with a sword and it's going to be all this cool entrance. And it's like, yeah, but she's never going to use the sword in a matches, so why? Nope. 
And it, it's a bit like, because it, it wasn't dissimilar to this back in the day. You know, Corey Graves had this silly entrance where he walked out and he put like his, his elbow on the ring post and it was all very choreographed and everyone had kind of their own little very choreographed entrance. That's always been kind of an NXT staple, but it's just been, mm-hmm. it's on steroids now, isn't it? And it's like they're getting wackier and wackier with it. She's an example of that. And, you know, a big talking point of the night is an example of that in, in Carrie and Cross. Like, you know, Simon posits in the chat, you know, speaking of keeping things stressed, what happens with the NXT main event scene now that they've put cross over the top guys and the brand and I think he ties into the biggest problem with this you know I watch this main event just mm-hmm. going he's in that match with Adam Cole Kyle O'Reilly Pete Dunne and Johnny Gargano I don't like Johnny Gargano rest not even a big Adam Cole fan I'd still take any of these dudes over carrying cross every single one of those dudes I just listed is much more NXT than Karrion Cross. Like, I've got no evidence of this, but Karrion Cross feels like Vince McMahon just grabbed him, dropped him in NXT and was like, put this guy over. Or Vince McMahon happened to watch one episode of NXT and was like, right, that guy's got a good look. I like his stupid dramatic entrance with the, the kissing and the fall and pray stuff and all of that. Therefore, that's your guy. Got to put him over all your all your favourites, uh, Trips and Sean. And then he goes over everyone. Like... He doesn't feel like he fits, and, and he, you know, imagine him being on top in peak NXT when, when you know, Balor and Nakamura and Joe and you know, further back than that, you know, the lads on top were, you know, Park and Sami Zayn, and even when Cesaro was doing bits in there, like he would not be the guy, <laughs> like, and somehow, no. like, we've become, it's become an NXT where he is the guy. It's just a, it's a, it's a strange thing, and yeah, um, him going over all of that talent as well in that main event just very much tells you where they are now. It really does, doesn't it? And it just felt like for this, rather than give him, like, a, a, a one-on-one match, he's mm. one of, they don't trust him in the ring. Mm. So they have to put in these, like, four guys who can all work in there with him. Mm. And like you say, they all feel stale, really, for the most part. I'd, I'd say I like I like Kylo Riley most out of all of them, but they all. But like, he's a fucking nerd as well, isn't he? Like you know, his stupid hat, and his sunglasses, and his orange cast. The mullet. Shirt. Yeah, he's doing cool Kyle, yeah. isn't he? He's doing like, what he used to what he used to doing with Bobby Fish in those fucking Ring of Honor videos from mm. from years ago. Like that's the act he's doing now. That's I mean. I, it's the type of thing I could imagine getting over with crowds, but it's still fucking strange. Like as far as like a top line act goes, and he's and he's in a horrible position as well because yep. he's trying to be. That's the other thing. Everything about this main event scene is lopsided. Like carrying Cross is the guy you're pushing as the top guy. Adam Cole is still a heel despite the fact everyone clearly wants to cheer him. Kyle O'Reilly's got to go up against Adam Cole and try and get himself cheered. But he's not gonna, because everyone still loves Adam Cole. Like everyone's just cast badly as well. Don't get me started on yeah. Johnny Gargano. I still don't know whether he's a face or a heel. I gather he's a heel at this point, but I don't really care about it. Um, everyone just seems cast strong as well. Um, and you know, Pete Dunne's in that main event as well, and he feels like he's never gonna get past that class seal, and he's he's been very much cast as an upper mid carder in NXT right now. I just don't think they know what they've got. I don't think they know at all. I think they need a completely fresh set of eyes on it, and I don't. And I think that's the last thing they ever, they will ever do, mm-hmm. because they don't operate in that way. That's the kind of common sense thing is they need. You'd imagine after what the let, there are various lessons they should have taken from the whole Wednesday night going up against Dynamite. Mm-hmm. What worked, what didn't. Mm-hmm. In the end, the only things they seem to think that worked was hot shotting it mm-hmm. a lot of the times in order to get a big one night rating. So they gave away a lot of their big matches for takeovers. And they're at the point where really there's not any of them left or any that's of any real interest. You've got a series of characters, but there's very few real people 
like and I think that's another thing on there as well where you talk about the overproduction there's like you're not meant to you can't it's very hard to empathize with people who are always putting on a performance Hmm. And everyone in NXT is putting on a performance. And you mentioned that with the Ky- with the Kyle O'Reilly. Like everyone's coming out with a certain look. And you just be like, what? if you met someone like that, you'd be like, what? why are you pretending to do this walk? Or what's going on? Are you all right? Like hmm. it wouldn't make any sense. And I think that's the problem that 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 we have with this is you, they've exhausted everything. Hmm. They haven't thought we need to kind of reset this. We need to freshen it up and we need to move people out of here onto the kind of main roster. But then they're also in the problem where there's nowhere to go on the main roster. Yeah. And this is the thing. And this is where we get with all the people that are under contract. Mm. The thing that probably Nick Khan is looking at going, right, There's a he'll notice the log jam soon enough. Mm. And it's an easy way to help with the dividend and other things like that, just to make another round of wrestling cuts, which is something that we said after the last set of cuts going, yeah, don't be surprised if another lot come along here because there is, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's a real bottleneck. Mm. And at the top of the bottleneck, it's just a massive stealing, steaming fucking turd that keeps it all in <laughs> and no one can progress past the shit <laughs> and the shit being the McMahon family. Mm. Like it, it doesn't go anywhere. So everyone is trapped here and they've kind of they've done everything. A lot of them have done everything they can do and there's nothing fresh there at all. Mm. And so everyone is kind of dull. It's almost like they all need to go out in the indies, reinvent themselves for a couple of years and then come back and it'd be all a lot more exciting again. Mm. But yeah, they're doing they're doing a great American bash. I mean they do these things, these Halloween havocs, these big specials, but Just what, what are they gonna just yeah. set, they're just branded in a set, aren't they? The you know the, the like yeah. the in your house thing. It, it's yeah, it's ridiculous. And yeah, I, I just I struggle to 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 really for all the reasons you mentioned and for what Joe says there in the chat about you know Cole Gargano, Champa, those kind of guys that like should have made it on the main roster but can't because Vince is never going to get into them. They're causing the logjam at the top. They're adding to the staleness of this product and like joe says there they're almost like nxt versions of randy orton and miz at this point you know your dolph zigglers like that's that's kind of what they feel like at this point and yeah when your fresh idea is to is to go with with killer cross on top there's there's a real issue like pete dunn for example like pete dunn could have been could have been a top guy in nxt but i think like the dice cast a bit with him really now and he's never going to make it to fucking raw is he i saw an interview with him this week where he was like oh you know i don't want to be known as the nxt uk uk champion guy what i want is to be the nxt champion and it was like you should say that you know in building up your match but at the same time it's like you're pete dunn surely you're good enough to have higher dreams and obviously can't because of the, the gobshite who's in charge and i think you're right you know I w- it wouldn't shock me if the the nick khan call comes to nxt and then we all have to sit there and listen to triple h on a conference call go eh, nothing i could do sorry nothing to do with me not my department because fucking nothing's his department at this point um but yeah i mean as far as the show goes i mean that main event i gave it 3.25 i almost feel felt pressured to give it three and a half mm-hmm. because of the grapple rating on it and i saw people going higher on it um i guess if you're still into that nxt style where basically a fucking shit ton is happening in matches and you get the big the usually you know pacey matches and the matches with you know lots of lots of spots and you know individual moments and creativeness between you know the six guys that are in there in the ring and you know you get the you know the 
the big you know, Panama Sunrise spot in there, and you get you know a big bitter end near fall for Pete Dawn, and you get you know lots of athletic stuff in there. If you're into that wall of noise NXT style, I can see you being into it. But I don't know. I just feel I felt I felt like it was a rerun. I felt like I'd seen all of this before. I felt like I'd seen every bit of this story before. And the one bit I hadn't seen was the gobshite at the end going over. Uh, and that's not something I wanted to see, and probably what I probably should have expected to see. And it just felt same old, same old for me. So I can't even like as a pure match go as high on that as you know the grapple average is looking. The grapple average is three point nine three. So clearly, you know, I'm. I'm a lower man on that than uh, than where than where people are going, but yeah, it just it didn't draw me in in any way. Yeah, I mean, I struggle with all of this show, and this match I struggle. I went three point two five, and like you, I was kind of erring more towards three because mm. I just thought I've seen this, I've seen this match, I've seen this pace, I've seen the flow of the match like this before, and it is all action, wall of noise, and mm. it's it's just at this point where it's it's. I don't know. It's just eye candy. It's just like mm. a, it's just images on a screen that's happening, and you've seen this match and mm. the ending as well. You mentioned the crowd didn't like it. No. I hated that as a kind of finish. It felt cheap, mm. and it I, I don't. It, what does it do for Carrying Cross? Because mm. they're not reacting to him, mm. and for this, I was just like, I, I mean, it's like it's a whole everything you expect to see in a match involving these guys, you expect to see it's like, and at some point they're going to go and trash the set. Yeah. You go carrying cross goes through the, the door and you're mm. like, right. But it's made out of fucking like kind of balsa wood. It's not, <laughs> he's not going to fucking hurt him. Is it? You've got to get that spot in though, JV. You've got to get that together. Yeah. moment. Got to get in there like that. I mean, again, it's, it's, like there's no brevity like i'm watching this going well this is at least going to be half an hour of a lot of the same stuff that you've already seen and if you haven't seen it you have seen it that's Mm -hmm. the point Mm -hmm. even if you go oh i've not seen this match you have Mm -hmm. you know exactly what's going to happen other than i'll just spoil it for you carrying cross wins and i look at that and i just think if you like him that much call him up to the main roster like i could care less but here he he actively hurts it because it felt like every time he was in there, there was a point where he's doing like supposed MMA with Kyle O'Reilly, and the, um, Kyle O'Reilly's fake MMA pisses all over his. Mm. He's not even good at it. Mm. So like, it's this whole hard man act, but dressed up as a gladiator with a vampire coming out there with him, who's lip syncing to a song. It's just a load of old bollocks, and he's not good at wrestling. And the clue for that, everywhere else he was before, whether it's AAA, MLW impact he was never the top guy because mm. they knew the limitations the guy is a look and an entrance that's mm. what he is it's him pulling a hard man face mm. and as soon as he's in there he's just clunky yeah i mean he did a pull apart backstage didn't they beforehand with him and pete dunn at some point early on it was like pete dunn looked a lot tougher than him mm. like he's just he's awful he's isn't he? he's actively shit yeah he is he is he's just and he's not what you want to see, you know, in the alleged hot young brand of uh, <laughs> of of the WWE. Um, and yeah, you know, to be honest, it it wasn't just this match that I just I failed to engage. It was a three star pay per view. That's what it felt like for me. You know, you talk about like you know, hot young axe LA Knight going over Cameron Grimes in what felt like the five hundredth ladder match WWE have done this year. Never mind um, of all time, or to be honest, in NXT. Um, you know, 
38 year old winning the million dollar title i saw a great start i think it was ian andrew dice clay our mate who put this on twitter this week that uh he is at the age of 38 the oldest million dollar champion of all time so the best the people he's cosplaying as virgil and, and teddy vrc were younger than him when they were the champions so much for your uh your developmental system there and that was another one where it was like just give the people what they want like i'm not into this cameron grimes ted DiBiase thing but like clearly that's the the direction people are enjoying clearly grimes is the one who can you know run with this silly gimmick even if it does make the wrestlers look like toddlers and even at this point you know 30 years later ted DiBiase appear to be the star in the program as opposed to the uh the two wrestlers involved with it and i felt bad for grimes because this was probably the, the the most interested i was in the show because he was just out there trying to kill himself you know climbing scaffolds yeah. and jumping off it and taking that gnarly bump through you know the ladder that he took back first the mm. kind of that no look bump that he took and just going out there and doing whatever he could to make generic wwe ladder match number 44 you know interesting and exciting and i can't say you know it worked all the way because i still gave it 3.25 stars but i can't i appreciated the effort at least and i appreciated that he put his body through it but it was all kind of a naught in the end because it was just a match to put over Eli Drake, um, but I don't know. Maybe he's a maybe he's a TNA defender. JP, you can defend that one for us. I can't defend this match anymore. I went two and a half, mm. but I wow, actively you are. hate. Oh, fucking hell! I actively hate ladder matches, mm. and I like Cameron Grimes. I have mm. to say, like of the few things that I have seen of NXT, that music video he did, and I know they've kind of done it to death now. I actually found that kind of funny. Like mm. I really did. He's always had character and personality when he's been in Impact, and he can wrestle. Like there's there's potential there, mm. and he's so silly and over the top that mm. I'm kind of fine with it. Like mm. in some ways, like you say, that's him and Ted DiBiase kind of doing skits together is the direction they should be going in because mm. it's quite easy crowd pleasing, like on each other end kind of stuff. Like it's 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 good mid card kind of fuel. Mm. It's absolutely fine, and he's and he's he's certainly good enough to do that. Eli Drake, LA Knight, I, he's he's awful. Mm. <laughs> Sorry to say it again, it's it's absolutely pointless. Again, he's a promo. Mm. That's what he is, and it's a kind of promo style that's completely done to death. It's kind of like more Ken Kennedy than anything else, really, isn't it? Mm. Yet he looked completely knackered at the end because he couldn't go up even on the ropes to kind of celebrate or anything else. <laughs> and when he won, I was like, it was twenty minutes. And I was quite annoyed when I did daily updates morning. I read that. And went, oh, fuck. I'm going to have to watch that. It's like mm. 20 minutes of this. And again, you're watching one man do his best, who's clearly thinking it's my big, op- you know, it's a big opportunity. But mm. again, what are you, what you going to get out of LA night at this stage? You're mm. not going to get particularly good matches. Mm. Like, what is it going to be worth him doing a kind of million dollar man ripoff gimmick? It, it's going to. He doesn't need Ted DiBiase as a mouthpiece because he's his own mouthpiece. So it's like, basically, I just thought, oh, it's Steve Austin, the ringmaster, except mm-hmm. you're not going to get Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> you're not no. getting him. No. Like, you know, you're, you're getting you're getting Eli Drake and nothing else. Don't expect him to shave his head, grow a beard and start swearing up a storm and think, and in two years' time, we're all talking about how LA Knight is fucking awesome, isn't it? 
Do you remember that LA Knight promo? Yeah, I thought of turning up, turning up on GCW and doing a uh, shoot promos about uh, Triple H and Shawn Michaels in the uh, in the style of Stun and Steve. I think it's it's possible. It could happen. Um, <laughs> grow his hair out you know <laughs> no that's not happening uh, yeah weird and he's another he's another sign of why i'm not interested in this product like you know even watching it like nxt like, like at arm's length the things you see people connect with and it's reflected you know seeing dylan and chris mm-hmm. saying it like grimes is the guy people are behind and you know him and hit row are the two things i hear about when it comes to nxt mm-hmm. as far as things that are connecting with people so of course hit row got a, a backstage segment and cameron grimes loses yeah that's uh that's nxt <laughs> to tell at this point um i mean i'm loath to say jp before we do move on to other subjects do you have other highlights from the show or or lowlights or i suppose things in general that you want to mention that 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 you took notice i thought the opener was all right as far as like a a six-man match goes i've got a soft spot for msk bronson reed is all right and he as far as a big man goes feel like he's he's put even more weight on since he's been in the WWE system but as a big man Mm. he's he's solid enough and you know the uh the guys on the the Phantasma uh, side uh, are all, you know, guys with uh, with potential. Just unfortunately, it's potential that will never be realised. And you know, whether it's uh, Escobar or Mendoza or whoever, uh, you know, their career is probably going to plateau the way Andrade Collier plateaued, and the way potential Latino stars before them plateaued. But you know, lots of potential to look at right now, and just uh, maybe enjoy for the time being. Yeah, it's potential going nowhere. Mm. Um, a lot of times, it feels like Arsenal. Um, to be honest with you, like you just what like so. I mean, here I think, for example, this is where I look at kind of Bronson Reed, and I kind of think he should be in this developmental system. When we saw him, he was incredibly raw, mm. like he wasn't near that, and and they they seem to really like him. And it's like, well, actually, go and work like a kind of a big man. But and and like you, I mean, I went three point two five on this. I'm, I just probably wasn't as as high on it. Part again because I thought, well, I kind of seen this. Mm. And I'm not really invested in it. But I can appreciate that MSK, particularly like Wesley, the former Desmond Xavier, he's he's really got something. Mm-hmm. And I think like him as a singles is is a way to go for this. But they're good. But again, it's like, what do you do with Legado del Fantasma at this point? They kind of mm-hmm. lost pretty comprehensively. And then I look at stables like that and I go, well, Kind of, what are they like? What what are they going to be? You know, what are you going to do with them? Mm. Because it appears to be they just go for a, like a kind of generic ex luchador who's now unmasked and is wearing a very smart suit a lot of the time kind of deal. That's what they tend to do mm. with some sort of like solo guitar playing as the music and the rest of it. It's 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 all so stereotypical that you just don't think it's going to kind of capture anything. Mm. And there's interesting stories about guys who unmasked to do it but yeah i look at that and i just think you know i went 3.25 and it and, and for me between that and the main that was the highest gave anything on this show mm. I, I thought ember moon worked very hard against raquel gonzalez mm. but it's clunky and it was only kind of like kind of it was better when ember moon was on on offense but i think again i went i think i went three stars on this yeah i did go three stars I on gave it. Him. yeah like Raquel Gonzalez is quite a way away. And it's kind of what, that's what developmental is meant to be for is mm. for her to learn and grow. It kind of makes sense. Mm. And, but you look at Ember Moon again, and that's someone who's the timing was never right. Take, uh, coming after Asuka and the rest of it. And it just feels like it's, it's not really going to happen. She's in there. And then Shotzi Blackheart is awful. 
again, I've said this is the third wrestler tonight. I've just said like is it feels like kind of actively bad because when she came out, I was like, bloody hell, she can't swing a punch. Mm-hmm. And most times I see her, she tends to nearly kill herself with some move at some point as well. But yeah, I thought, you know, that was absolutely bang average. And again, I mentioned Zia Lee, Mercedes Martinez. Oh, I went two for that. Yeah, I went I went two. I've got a I've got a point to raise about like Zia Lee has been in the system for four years. I'm gonna talk about someone who's been in the system not even three. Who's who Zia Fucking <laughs> no, not Zia Brooks. You'd be good to the viewer, wouldn't you? You've got this unique name. Oh. <laughs> There's never gonna be another Zia. Yep. <laughs> done. <laughs> yeah, there he's done. Um She's never getting and a, again, a call up over. <laughs> just so dull. I don't know what the post match stuff was about. Oh. Like the thousand ten thousand hour witch, the chairs with Mercedes seem to just go on and on and on. And the match CLE's been in that, like I say, four years in that mm-hmm. system. I think that's like looking at her tonight. I think it's just such a damning indictment mm-hmm. of the performance center itself. Mm-hmm. That four years and she just looks green as anything. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, what's been going on for four years? What have you been learning? And what she's been learning is how to stare at the camera as it zooms into her face mm-hmm. and then walks towards it mm-hmm. in a look. Basically, she's dressed up as Chun Li. Mm-hmm. That's what she's done. And she's swinging her sword. But do they practice actual wrestling? And these people we we hear about as being these genius coaches. Sorry, m- maybe they're shit. Mm. Maybe they can't do it. Mm. When they're asked to bring people up from scratch, their hit to miss ratio is awful. Mm. It really is. Like, And it's not like there isn't talent out there. Because if you watch things like Dark and Dark Elevation, you start to particularly see there is a lot of talent out there. Mm. And it's it's just they don't know how to coach them because fundamentally them being well-rounded wrestlers appears to be very near the bottom of the list. And this is, yeah, just awful, terrible gimmick, lazy stuff. But like a lot of this show, it feels very lazy. Mm. It's going through the motions. Sorry, yeah. there you go. No, I've, I've slagged everything off on this show. I thought it was fucking awful. Apologies yeah. to the up next uh, listeners who uh, might have tuned into this episode. <laughs> I think even Brayden and Davey, though, will, uh, will give you plenty of uh, yeah. good criticism on here on NXT as well at the minute. And yeah, you know, they're going to be potentially um, get an update on this. Uh, here's a plug for the Patreon and the uh, the daily update tomorrow morning. You can update us, JP, on whether one Samoa Joe turns up uh, tonight on uh, mm. on NXT's TV as uh, the end of the show with that cliffhanger about Regal and the uh, potential is that, that Joe's going to come back. I mean, that says to me he can't wrestle. Um, I would assume if he's coming back as like some kind of commissioner role, but I actually like if you, if you want to talk about like just briefly because we will move on to other subjects but mm-hmm. like a you know potential solutions for nxt maybe them being mm-hmm. ran a bit more independently might be a positive like i look at that story and go okay that's interesting vince mcmahon for whatever reason didn't want samoa joe on his product but you know whether triple h has got the power to make the call or somehow they made it happen for nxt i would like to see more of that where they go you know we're nxt you know we can we can sign our own guys you know don't get me wrong, I'd rather see Andrade and even Alistair Black, uh, Tommy Bellend in, uh, in AEW. But if there was an NXT that actually existed on an island and could bring in guys like that as if they were a separate company to WWE, I actually think that'd be a little bit interesting. So it's my it's my second, not even second, probably fourth, fifth pick on the list of what 
Brian Danielson could do rather than main wrestler WWE. I'd rather go to AEW. I'd rather went to New Japan. I'd rather he went to Mexico. I'd rather he went to Butlins. But if they were a company who could be like, no, we can independently sign Brian Danielson, that'd be interesting. Maybe that's a little glimmer of hope from that Samoa Joe sign. And even if you know, him as a, a commissioner is uh, is still a bit of a, a, a weird role for him. It is a kind of weird role. I don't have any faith. I wish I had the faith that you have that that, that they'll do something decent with this Benno because I, I really don't see that being the case. I mean, he's a. I mean, he's he's going to be that kind of commissioner, and he's going to be looking hard and the rest of it. I agree. It says that he can't wrestle. In which case, what is the value that he offers to other companies? In that case, I mean, AEW have their fit of people who are fake, but effectively commentators slash kind of coaches, talent scouts. They've got loads of those. So I think like it would be the case that, um, that Samoa Joe is like, I don't know. We talk about what to do to save it. I, it feels to me that there is, I, I here's a wild idea. Give it to Borash. Mm. You've got him there. I think that's what you do. You you remove Triple H, Shawn Michaels, the road dog, the kind of WWE influence. You make an active decision. It's about the house style. Mm. It's about the look and feel of this because it looks like a Kevin Dunn production. And that is the like, and they don't really, they haven't cottoned on that part of their aesthetic is the problem because it looks dated. Mm. And it's not about freshening up a set or adding in special effects or graphics that won't make it look dated. It's the way that they produce and think about television as a product. It's the way they can't hold on to a shot for longer than 10 seconds. It's everything has to be going in this way. I think that's the biggest thing for them. I also agree. If you're not using people on the main roster, use them in NXT. I think there's much more value. There are loads of people who are hanging around people. I, I just wouldn't even be able to think of, and go, Oh yeah, they're on the main roster. Use them in NXT. But I think as well, getting out of that venue, getting out of that venue is absolutely one of the things that has to happen. Although, as a story, if you... And one of the things I have been following is the ticket sales for a lot of the house shows. WWE's awful. Like, AEW's outselling them, I think, in Miami and Charlotte, which two of the kind of bigger markets. And it's only just leading in the others. And this is WWE, you know, a company that makes 900, more, 900 million more a year than AEW yet honestly to God it struggles mm. and I, you look at NXT and it's kind of symptomatic of the problem because this is meant to be the kind of representative of the future and it's like if this is the future of WWE they're fucked currently at this point so how you solve it as you do with all of these things you, you need to look at how it's being run you need to look at how it's being booked and what are you going to do different and the need to lose the WWE mentality. But the reason I'm so negative about it is I have no faith because they all sound like fucking Scientologists when it comes to this stuff. And the mm. feet and levels are through the roof mm. when they talk about how great things are. So there you go. I've been very negative about it. Okay. Thanks for your I won't take be negative, this. not for everything tonight, but there you go. <laughs> and if you want more on Joe's talk, uh, Joe, JP's uh, thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, there was Freudian a Joe in there, wasn't there? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it just... was. I was channeling him. <laughs> you want more of JP's thoughts on uh, on Samoa Joe's uh, impending debut? You'll get it uh, tomorrow morning. That's when you can. Uh, that's when you can get it in the uh, in the daily update if he uh, he does turn up on TV tonight. But yeah, you mentioned um, the JP uh, AEW, and yeah, we should move on to to matters AEW. Mm-hmm. Um, Funny old, uh, they're in a funny old period at the moment, you know. Uh, on the one hand, uh, Dynamite's been shoehorned onto a Friday, um, and ratings aren't great. On the other hand, you've got Forbes articles putting over the Khans and uh, calling Tony Khan the next Lord. I think it is is what he, what he was uh, referred to in the uh, in the article. Um, obviously, there's all of all of the typical wrestling puns of he's going to take a steel chair to his opponents and things like that um and making reference to uh, look i thought the stuff about his uh his dad was particularly interested as well where like to basically like apparently his dad said to tony oh you know i'm gonna die one day and i'm gonna leave you a lot of money you and your sister so you might as well spend some of it while you're alive i think this wrestling shit's a terrible idea don't get me wrong but you should use some of the money while i'm still alive and uh like i love that like nick like i was saying nick Khan, there you go another freudian slip um shag Khan <laughs> is uh is very much the uh Kind of, he's he's almost like happy to have been proven wrong um, by his son that oh actually yeah you know there is money in this wrestling thing just like when he was a uh, a small boy when uh, when Tony Khan took his uh, his dad to the ECW arena and he was there like oh this is weird it's a bit like a it's like a rock. It's like a rock club combined with a cult, I think is what he, he said to Tony. So, you know, I can imagine that and winning his dad over with wrestling. But um, interesting article, yeah, talking about it and saying that like AEW in general are pretty much on course to be profitable this year. If only, you know, at least the wrestling side of things that they've obviously spent, um, you know, in the millions on getting the video game up and running. Yeah, let's mm. hope that's not just a Kenny Omega vanity product that, that goes nowhere um, and they don't fuck themselves with that. Um, but that's what they're, they're spending a, a lot of money on this year. But yeah, sounds like dad is, uh, is proud of son and yeah, interesting that uh, the Forbes have, uh, have taken that angle and are quite interested in this uh, this younger Khan dynasty looking to, uh, to take on the evil McMahons. It was a really, it was, I thought it was an absolutely fascinating article. It's a couple mm. of great photos in there. It reminded oh, me of a yeah. Rolling Stone article, which I don't know if you remember this. It was one, The Undertaker was on the front with his arms out and Vince is in front of him like that. It kind of had a similarity to that. Mm. There's a couple of photos that I've sent you, obviously, to put into the show images. Of course. That are like, like, there's one of Tony Khan in his sunglasses. But it was fascinating. I came away thinking Shad Khan's an interesting figure. Like, mm. that's a hell of an attitude to have. Mm. Like, you know, guy is worth like $8 billion you convince him to go into the ECW at the mm. height of like ECW's like kind of pomp. You're like, what the fuck? I thought it was, it was absolutely fascinating. I would say about the video game stuff, there's a lot to be worried about that. I mean, a it's triple a AAA game. Well, I say it's not a triple a game. It's, it's self-developed. So it's self-published. They're paying for this rather than having a publisher pay for it, rather than having a deal with, I don't know, an, an EA or something along those lines, you know, some something in there. There's a space for a wrestling video game. I think the issue is how do you do it when wrestling numbers are kind of at a bit of a low and you're coming off the back where a lot of the market has been flooded with on the main in terms of WWE, completely uncreative, dull, glitchy games that feel like they've been released out there. And how much more are they going to be spending on this as well? Like, I think there's a degree of pressure on this that perhaps there wasn't before. Um, and I think that's one of the, the the kind of more interesting elements is 
about how they're how they're spending this money because it clearly they are profitable with the exception of this and this is a kind of admittedly though it's not a cost they're going to be paying every single year mm-hmm. but i think at the same time is it a risk they needed to take at this point a video game you kind of want to get to the point where you're established enough that there's a bit of a clamor and someone gives you money game. for it yeah <laughs> you know somebody pays you for it for the yeah. rights to license it and then you tell them this is how you should do the game and yeah. this is one of our wrestlers who's going to be actively involved in the project mm. instead because i look at the kind of mobile gaming stuff they i mean the, the casino and the general manager stuff and it's 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 very ethereal none of it's going to really catch on mm. like in any kind of meaningful way um and video game development is an incredibly expensive business and all it takes is the early reviews to be shit and it doesn't you know it never kind of gets forgiven. And so you look at a game like Cyberpunk that cost a fortune from the makers of The Witcher, it's glitchy to fuck. And it's like, in updates, it could be great. Unfortunately, the glitches are what people remember. So therefore, you've got to kind of nail it as soon as you as soon as you get a game like this and you're hoping it's going to it's gonna sell big time and it's going to really catch fire. I'm incredibly sceptical it will. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be one of these things where they're like, right, we need to look at like, they've done a lot to humor the EVPs at first. And I think there might come a point where like Tony's going to start to go, right, you've had your vanity project and it's fucked up. Mm. So we're not doing this again because I'm not pissing 20 million up against a wall for the sake of it. Especially when the other stuff is going well. Mm, that's the thing we all forget. Like reading an article like this, it reminds you, you know, in a, in a publication like Forbes, that this this is a business. You know, talking about like the the numbers and you know what you know, great for for, for AW the TNT are so behind them. You know, there's quotes from TNT in the article putting them over as well. Um, I thought like a particularly interesting note was where like in Forbes they they compared like what AW make from TNT as far as TV revenue goes, and it's forty three to up to uh, 44 million um, that AW uh, made from TNT last year. And that's compared in the article in black and white numbers with WWE with a 974 million revenue. And it's almost described as a, as a rounding error uh, <laughs> within the article there, you know, in talking small fries. And, you know, you, we've got to remind ourselves of that, I think, sometimes as wrestling media. And obviously there's people who do incredible work covering ratings and talking about them in depth. And then there's some surface level stuff you look at and it's just like, come on, like, you know, I always, I always think we need to remind ourselves, you know, while we might go, oh, well, AW's doing almost as strong as WWE in the demo. Oh, they've beaten NXT in the demo. Or, you know, they're getting close to WWE in the demo. Like, we almost look at that as like a scoreboard, like a like like we're, like we're Mucky Garner with our Microsoft Excel spreadsheet and we're cheering them on for, you know, these points in the demo wins. And yes, that all matters, but it only matters if TV companies are willing to, you know, give them the equivalent amount of money um, that comes with getting a, a demo rating that high and it kind of remi- it throws cold light on the fact that yes aw and tnt have got a great relationship yes they've had two major increases you know just in this past year alone but they're still making you know pennies on the dollar compared to wwe's big tv deals and um, for you know more but you know equivalent numbers and yeah you know if if at the end of the day a tv company isn't willing to give you you know the money wwe is getting from their tv deals it almost 
doesn't hugely matter you know what the demo rating is it only matters if those demo ratings actually lead to something which is obviously you know the people the grown-ups who discuss, discuss those numbers uh always talk about but i think gets lost sometimes in the uh, in the depths of twitter where it's like a, a one-for-one uh battle each mm-hmm. week uh, as if it it particularly matters on a on a given week sometimes more than maybe maybe it actually really does yeah i i, I would i would agree with you on that like when you see that comparison of how much the ter- what the turnovers is and again you've got a grain of salt you know point is a we've only been around two years as well so you know yeah, they're, they're, don't they're let the wwe stands uh, fool you it's still a startup mm. where it gets really interesting I mean, it's very weird with these things is is where it, the next set of tv deals the ones up in like 2023 2024 mm. especially for AEW, because then at that point that's when it means something. I really know the value of wrestling. That's when it means something. Because for WWE, like we sort of said a few times, it's very hard to see how they're going to get another deal like the one that they've, they've got before. If you look at these kind of ratings that they're ultimately paying like a billion for, hmm. it's very insubstantial and isn't getting the kind of advertisers that, say, an NHL or an NBA are getting or anything along those lines. You look at AEW there's a lot more room for like that kind of potential for like exponential growth. Whereas with WWE, you kind of think is this kind of the peak other than the sale, which obviously now you're not allowed to say is, is, you know, they, anyone would ever think about it for that, but like it does get to a point when there's next set of TV deals, they'll look at AEW. There was one of the stats I found fascinating that like 54% of their audience is under 50. And that says a lot, like compared to like WWE. That's the thing that advertisers will look at. It's the thing that TV execs will be looking at as well. Is this is attracting a much younger audience, and WWE looks and feels stale. And we've spoken about you know all the problems you mentioned of NXT. A lot of those problems are exactly the same for SmackDown and Raw, aren't they? I mean, there's mm. like a bottleneck of of stars and stuff there. Whereas AEW, it's going to have that kind of fresh feel to it within those within those couple of years and you think to yourself like if they're still with tnt and tnt uh, uh, warner want to keep them then you know that's it'll get more interesting at that point i think a wwe are in for a bit of a shock when it comes to when it comes to some of their um what they get for the next round of tv deals mm. Yeah, it, it, that's when the uh, the chickens come home to roost, isn't it? When the actual the actual deals get made. But I mean, speaking of AEW and their TV, I mean, we should talk their, this last week's TV, mm-hmm. this Friday Night Dynamite, a mixed bag of an episode, I would say. Better better than the week before, but not hard to yeah. be better from the week before. Um, I don't know. It was like it, it almost felt like a show of two hours, really. Like you know, the first half had Christian Cage and Matt Hardy continuing to build the feud that nobody other than fans of 2006 SmackDown wanted to see. Um, you've then got like on from there, you know, you got like the, the the weird segment with Cody Rhodes and bringing out one Brock Anderson, who we have to talk about in his weird get-up in his, like, looking like he's going to the beach in his douchebag shorts and uh, and loafers, like, that was fucking weird uh, that was on the on the show, Brandon Cutler getting a match like, I I, 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 I never want to see that, to be honest, on Dynamite especially when he's in there with the fucking young books Eddie Kingston, Pack and Penta um, although, you know, you can make the arguments 
somebody needs to take the pin, but I would make the argument somebody better than mm. Brandon Cutler um, is probably lying on Dark um, each week and could probably probably take the pin in in those moments and not be the uh, the goofball running around in his track in his red tracksuit, which is not a Ring of Honor tracksuit, JP, but a, a different kind of uh, <laughs> tracksuit. I think show. that's every single time. <laughs> it's not every me. Time. It's not me. I promise you. Uh, but yeah, we have first hour for that, and then I do think that the second hour kind of picked up. I think I, you know I really really enjoyed um, getting to see uh, Miro and Evil Uno. I thought like that was a, a full match. I think as far as like five minutes worth of build to make the match more interesting showing that promo video with evil uno where you know he's talking about it being his chance and okay yes that kind of undermines the whole you know he's remember when he was an evil cult leader a couple of years ago and we were all supposed to take him seriously as that although you know a couple of years worth of bte have kind of put passion to that and to be honest it's for the best um i don't think anyone ever took evil you know seriously as like a cult leader if anything him as this nerdy guy in a mask kind of works for him and to be honest he doesn't seem someone who's got too much of an ego and he's not doesn't seem that bothered he seems if anything happy with his lot in life that he's got the slot on tv um yeah likable bloke uh good good person to throw in there for for miro to maul and yeah i do think the show somewhat um turned around from there and we had you know some good stuff on the in this in the in the second half of the show particularly the main events with uh with hangman page and 10 against their brian cage and powerhouse hobbs who looked like Mm. a hell of a tag team so yeah weird show jp a lot of highs a lot of lows strange one though um this week episode of Dynamite. I'd go with you on that. It did feel like a kind of a strange show. It was a lot more watchable mm-hmm. than the week before. I found, um, I mean, I will say I skipped through Angelico versus Christian Cage. I think <laughs> when I saw that come up, I went, nope. That's not a dream match I'm not watching. No. Not, <laughs> he really, not in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with you. It, it did kind of turn around at that mm-hmm. point with the... Um, I mean, we've got to talk about the co- like the Cody stuff with with Brock Anderson. It's like <laughs> Shivani was great. Brock, Anderson. yeah, Brock, long pause. Anderson, <laughs> so Anderson. you fucking dick. <laughs> oh, what Cos playing as his dad well, in nineteen eighty eight. I know. I think that's a that's a funny joke, but like. On your debut, like, is it a good is it a good first impression to be wearing an orange polo shirt with your, like I say, your chino shorts on and your brown? He looked, it was ridiculous. Like that is not the first sight you need of this 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 poor lad. I say lad, he looks about fifty, just like his dad. So you know, we're keeping uh, mm. we're keeping that uh, Anderson tradition alive of looking much older than he is. But what a str- could what be twenty, fuck? could be fifty. Who can who can tell? Uh, Sort of a lot of lads knocking around Shoreditch at the weekend dressed like Brock Anderson. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, reference or not, that was fucking weird. What a strange way to debut a wrestler. Code, code feels like another Cody idea, though. I hate blaming him for this stuff, but yeah, uh, very much felt it like is. a Cody, very a Cody written segment, if anything. Brandy needs to give birth. Give birth now. Give this fucker something to do, right? <laughs> just to get it off his mind because he's all over the shop at the minute, oh, mate, and it's we'll coming out in the booking. Think of the video packages we're gonna get when we, you know, Cody declares himself as first man to ever have child. Um, yeah. Is Brock Anderson going to turn on Cody and his ever-loving quest to be early nine, early nineties Sting, where everybody turns on him at some point? Like, you going to say what all Brock Anderson is. was going to turn out to be the father? Then that's a storyline I could get on board with. Is Russo booking? That would that would be something there, wouldn't it? Fucking hell! Um, yeah, that sounds very very Russo. They would go a bit far for that. I mean, I, I honestly, it's 
it's just weird with Cody. Don't get me wrong. It's kind of watchable weird. Mm. It's not the worst kind of weird, mm. but it's odd. And this feud with QT Marshall, it's very odd. It's like they've got a feud with, Penta, uh, with Pentagon Jr. That's what I, that's what I want to call him. Ah, and you go, and somebody just went, no, QT Marshall. That's who this needs to be with. And we need mm-hmm. to drag this. We're going to get the kids involved. And someone, no one just went, hang on a minute. This other bloke is not doing anything. He's really good. Mm-hmm. We could have some interesting matches and a bit of an interesting dynamic and build up Penta. Nah. We're going to do this. It's, I, I didn't mind this at first, but now it just seems to have gotten very, very weird. This angle, I can't understand this like storyline at all with him mm-hmm. for this. And I'm now expecting this Brock Anderson to turn on him in his first match. That's kind of what I'm expecting, or it's going to be absolutely bang average stuff. Either way, it's like, why is this on dynamite? But this is dark elevation stuff, no? Mm. Might get a few more eyes to the YouTube. It's not going to add in a fucking single telly viewer. No. It's not some guy floating around at half ten watching watching TNT who's like, Arn Anderson's son, stop the channel. I'm not watching <laughs> Bill Maher. I'm watching this. Like, mm. it's not going to happen. Mm. What What did you make of the uh, the inner circle and, uh, and pinnacle segments? Like, <laughs> that was... I'm bored of them. They are. I I can't believe Inner Circle didn't. I mean, you know, Steph will shout at us for this because you know she was. I was on a True Heel Heat with her, and uh, we were talking about it, and I was the one to predict that uh, the Pinnacle were going to win, and Inner Circle were going to break up, and uh, yeah, I got very much told off during that show for uh, for daring to uh, to suggest that. Um, she obviously obviously knows uh, more than we do about uh, about the 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 Inner Circle lore and that stable and why they were unlikely to uh, to split up, and she was right and we were wrong but I still look at it myself and go how can Inner Circle and Pinnacle be in in, in one promotion at the same time like how like I, I just think MJF for all his positives and I do think he's a very very good promo I don't know this just feels like a cosplay stable it feels like they're just doing what Inner Circle did when, when Dynamite first started and like I don't need them on the same show as each other I don't need this feud to go on for forever yes you know LAX as Chris Elliott has said in the chat uh, spray painting the limo with El Barto was was funny um but like the overall of yeah these getting these long-winded segments every week and continuing on this bullshit is just ah uh, this feud is just so tired and I don't like saying that about AW because I really I, I enjoy AW every week even for its faults but this is something I just I don't need to see anymore in the show I feel like this arc came should have came to its end by now and you know we should have moved on already to some kind of singles action or maybe we should have done the singles action before the stable feud it's just it's just a strange feud that just feels like it's it's outstaying it's welcome at this point when um i don't know if i should should have felt like that when there was you know particularly there's still a money match there in jericho and mjf there's still potentially a money Mm -hmm. match there in in mjf and sammy guevara there's still money matches there in ftr and in a circle i don't know how we get to those matches but i'd rather be seeing those matches on tv than seeing these endless stable wars segments because i feel like after two fucking blood feud ending matches like we shouldn't still be seeing this no, I'm completely with you on this. I'm I'm just over. I, I feel like I was watching. It, I was just going. This is kind of just so attitude era. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's really attitude era, and it feels quite lazy as a result of that. And and I'm I'm watching it. I'm kind of bored, and they're smashing it up. The, the limo, and I'm like, like 
you're better than this. You've done much better stuff than this. It's they just don't seem to take them off every mm. week, and I think it it kind of hurts them for me. It makes them feel a lot less special. Mm. Like that's one of the things you've got to be wary about. Is it? like are oh, you kind of doing? It. So I look at like MGF for example, and it, each week this kind of goes on. I think he comes across kind of worse and worse because it's like the same like shtick really. And he needs new material to work with. Like they all kind of do. So you just think, well, go to the match with Sammy Guevara because that'll be the best match that, that they're going to be able to have. I think that's the one that they, they kind of do the best over. And I could see them doing it on like the, the first of like those TNT specials. I think it's kind of perfect for that mm. rather than say pay-per-view where Jericho is kind of the money match if you're looking to draw fans in. But I think you do that one on TV. And like you say, all of those other matches, I mean, they're doing that Wardlow Hager MMA cage fight rules thing, which I'm immediately suspect about. But go to the fucking matches. Can we stop with these talking? Can we stop dressing up talking segments as something else where they're going to have a parlay? <laughs> or I don't know. They're probably going to do one where it's done in mime or mm-hmm. something daft like that. It's just these endless kind of segments of them doing it, which just feel tired. And it almost feels like we haven't really got any ideas about how we're going to move this feud forward. So somebody will come out, slag them off, and then we'll smash up some shit of yours. Mm-hmm. And then we might repeat around the next week and we'll leave a couple of you lying there cut open. And then you'll complain about us the week after and we'll shout. And then we'll stand in the ring and not fight each other and then talk over each other. And here's Eric Bischoff to talk about it. And before you know it, we've killed six weeks of nothing happening, endless kind of talking segments between two parts of a feud, uh, two stables feuding that you've already seen. It's, mm. yeah, like, I, for me, it just drags on the show. I was going to say, the, the only other thing I was going to reference of note for me, and uh, you can let us know if there's anything else you want to reference, JP, but I thought the uh, Jungle Boy Omega as a match to build through is is promising. Um, I, mm. like, I like Jungle Boy in that spot. Was it? I didn't think the, the execution of the angle was perfect. I think giving Kenny too much time to talk on the mic sometimes is a mistake, and he does kind of descend into into parody um, that you'll often hear me uh, complain about on this show, but Jungle Boy you know, is a good guy for that role, a good guy to be the challenger of the week who's, okay, he's going to lose, but he's going to put up a fight. The crowd are going to be behind him, going to be way behind him on that that Saturday Night Dynamite, and they're going to be cheering him on. They're going to be singing his song. Um, that's a good defense. I, I would rather have seen this on the pay-per-view than the Rando three-way with uh, with Pac and Orange Cassidy. Yeah. Who, remember them? World title contenders? What have they done in the uh, in, in anything that would make them look like a world cont- title contender since that show? It's almost like they were just shoehorned into that match, wasn't it? Um, I would rather I've yeah, seen this uh, than that, but I think that's a that's a. While I'm still hopeful, we get some kind of big flagship Kenny defense at some point soon. You know, in this company rather than in other companies. Um, good enough match for now, and a good TV match to be looking to build to. Oh, I completely agree with that. And uh, I mean, Jungle Boy again. I, I feel like I've said this a lot of times. He's someone I really shouldn't like, or certainly me at a certain age would have been like happy to shit all over in terms mm. of like a wrestler. He's kind of got it, really. Mm. If you look at the kind of star presence, he's young, he's fresh, and I'm with you. These are the kind of title matches he should be having. I think it's interesting. Like one of the things that's kind of been noted is the fact that AEW, you're basically getting an idea of what Rampage rating should be. So, like, if you're looking at what 10 p.m. on a Friday means, well, you're kind of finding out at this point, like, with the ratings being just uh, under half a million. This main event in a Saturday night show feels like 
a big Saturday night show feels like the specials they'll do for TNT as well on a Saturday. And if it is going to be like Clash of the Champions-ish, this is kind of perfect. Although, again, I agree with you that being on there as well. And I think Kenny Omega having matches against like kind of good wrestlers. I think when Phoenix comes back, that's the one I'd love to see him go back to that. I think that would be, that'd be well worthwhile. Kenny Darby Allen. I think there's, there's things with that. I think they're the more interesting matches because they're kind of younger mm. who feel like AW guys, mm. you know? So like, I think they're much more, they're just much more interesting directions. Um, yeah, Kenny doing a tour of those kind of matches would be fun, yeah. wouldn't it? I want to, because he's not really doing anything. He's just chewing scenery on TV each week, doing bad backstage segments and being plugged into random matches. Yeah, I know it's been done, but like, yeah, Kenny just doing random, do, being Bret Hart and having Challenge of the Week matches, similar to what Darby Allen was doing. I, I wouldn't hate that. Um, yeah, but this is a, this is a step in a positive direction, I think, for at least for him. Oh, I think so. I mean, I, I, and I think this is the kind of way they need to go, but it's still that point of where June feels like a write-off month. Yeah. With the exception of that week of TV, mm. which is going to be interesting to see what it does ratings-wise because it's on a Saturday. Mm. So I'll be interested. I don't know if it's up against any kind of other big sporting competition on that Saturday. You'd have to imagine there probably will be something. There'll be a fight or something along those lines. Mm. But again, I also think it'll, it'll be a match that delivers. Mm. because when hasn't Jungle Boy delivered when he's been in there with good wrestlers? And also, he's the people who's had kind of like MJF's best matches. Mm. True, true. Well, there you go. So we've got, we've got at least that to look forward to. But yeah, weird mm-hmm. weird holding pattern period of, uh, of AEW uh, kind of continues. Uh, but yeah, hopefully hopefully brighter things are, are coming around the corner. And we should mention while we while we talk about Kenny, I think it kind of fits this segment. We did both watch uh, bits and pieces of the uh, the Impact pay-per-view from this mm. weekend. It was against all odds, wasn't it? I lose track at this point. You're it the TNA expert. So yeah, there you go. Against all odds. See, I was right first time. Couldn't watch it on the app again, JP, because the app's a piece of shit. So I watched it on my favorite watch wrestling site instead um but yes um <laughs> i uh, i watched the uh, the kenny omega moose match and i watched the uh, the good brothers uh, tag with the with sammy had earlier on the show it was very much your uh, your impact made for impact plus show probably in the can you know six years ago um Ke- kenny omega and, uh, and moose was at least notable for the fact they did it from if people haven't seen it they did it from daily's place so the the impact mm-hmm. review as you've mentioned jp strangely josh matthews is back on commentary like i don't know how this has happened but maybe that's how long ago it was taped or something or just they got sick of matt striker's shit and josh matthews has had to come back out of retirement but first oh but him and d did most of the show and then there was this weird cut at the end where they're like ah now we go to daily's place for the main events of kenny omega versus moose and then shivani takes over and the show is better for it to be honest uh, shivani uh in there with uh with don Callis and uh, and scott damore um weird though wasn't it kind of watching you know, dailies play. This is one thing I didn't mention actually. I don't like a big thing I didn't like about Dynamite this week. There's it was another one of those clearly there were no actual live fans there. I don't understand why you're continuing to do that post pandemic. Like, surely, well, sorry, it's not post pandemic, but in Florida, it's post pandemic, but post, you know, not having to have crowds in where you can have crowds now i know they were tired and we talked about it last week's dynamite but i'd still rather they were there than not i'd still rather you 
you know use the time you've got with them to take dynamite episodes rather than tape episodes of dark and and elevation because it was weird to go back to the dynamite setting with you know just the uh, the wrestlers in the in the front row making all of the noise and it was weird to watch this this uh this impact pay-per-view main event because they did the same thing but it was like only one side of the ring had fans in it so it was like even more dead than normal it was just it was dead it was a dead strange presentation it was a solid enough match i mean moose should thank his lucky stars that he you know, he got a booking in Daly's place. I think it'll be the last he ever gets. Um, Sammy Hallahan should be thankful as well. He's never getting back in that building again, apart from to do the angle with uh, with Kenny after this match. But yeah, a bit of a, a bizarre presentation. I don't know what you thought, JP. Oh, it's very weird because also we've been used to seeing fans on mm. that side of the ring with the, with the um, with the hard cam was showing, mm. and it was just black. Mm. It was just like pitch black. It was it was just very very odd for it. Mm. And I was there thinking, why didn't you want to? take this in front of fans because they're also might be said they make sure like they it's like they get them to sign fucking NDAs they seem to close down I never see anything about dynamite spoilers Mm. like do you like I never see people kind of leaking stuff they've had that maybe that's been the one positive of the pandemic period hasn't it been that they haven't got fans there so they haven't got people running to 411 or Meltzer or whatever and and getting them out there but I don't know if it's worth sacrificing the atmosphere of your shows to prevent I'd ra- I think I'd rather have spoilers especially in this weird Saturday night era than have shows that are a bit dead and fake sounding when you know it's not, again morally might agree with it or not but you know Florida is kind of past the need for that well, God yeah I mean they had across the road from there is that stadium with the arena where they had 15,000 in for UFC mm. but he had five 5,000 in for a pay-per-view mm. the genie's kind of out the box you're running those events now are mm. you going to do this it's not like and they're not going to be imposing restrictions on them again regardless because it's Ron DeSantis in Florida he's not gonna he's not that kind of guy he doesn't give a shit at the best of times but it was a very weird dynamic like because it's all just the nightmare factory people I did kind of enjoy it I mean but then I think I watched the two matches is which for me had like the biggest kind of novelty value. Mm. And there is a thing where I think, I don't know, certainly to me and you, um, like Moose, th- anytime I hear his name mentioned, and I know there's a lot of problematic things about Moose, it kind of makes me laugh. I don't know why, because there's normally like a Brit Rest story where there's just like, you know, kind of laughing about stuff. We're going to go into them now. But there's always been this kind of, so like you see Moose in there against Kenny Omega, Gives like, you flashbacks to the Stanley Armstead, is that what we're saying? It does, mate. Oh, it does. <laughs> Stanley's arms to um, Daly's place. That's that's his route. It, it's it's mental for that. <laughs> like, and I look at and in fairness to him, hmm. he is in some fucking shape, isn't he? He really has got himself into shape. And there's a lot of stories today. I know Fightful Select were talking about. There was like a lot of companies who are apparently after him. And I was thinking about it. It's very weird that you know picking up wrestlers with history is not exactly out of the pale for wrestling companies. And it looks like Moose would have a lot of the things that say WWE would want in a wrestler. So I still find it kind of odd. They've never made a kind of serious play for him, but maybe that's just, that's just not something they're ever going to go for. Or maybe there's something to, there's something more that we don't necessarily know about, about that. But I thought, cause I thought as a match, it kind of had a, had a decent enough pace to it. I thought, it was it was interesting. He Moose is much more confident in the ring. He kind of knows what his big spots are. 
It's not spectacular. I think I went three and a half, but I think there's a part of me laughing ironically during <laughs> this as well. Well, this is Moose's biggest match like, in his career, possibly. isn't it? Like you would probably say. It is. Like, yeah. I went three point two five on it, but you know, as he has a main event match to like that's to this level before with a wrestler to the level of Kenny Omega, I don't think I can pitch a one. I can't think of any ad in Ring of Honor. Mm. Like he never really got that kind of a push. He kind of left and went to Impact quite early on, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Relatively speaking, he was the guy they brought in. That was like their big project guy, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Managed by Vader Scott, if you can oh, go, God, back, yeah. go back. Yeah, well, he had the ROH like, logo yeah. on his on his gear. Yeah, that was the old Moose logo. You forget he was an ROH uh, guy, and then he, you know, typical XN original ROH mate. He's mm-hmm. he's more Ring of Honor than your Low Keys and your Daniel Bryans, mate. He's he's Ring of Honor. He bleeds Ring of Honor. Does that lad? He does. He do. well, yeah. You, you can't open his skin and there's a red tracksuit bleeding underneath. <laughs> he's uh, he's but he's typical ex NFL player in a lot of ways, including the real life stuff. But typical NFL player in that he was just like, yeah, yeah. fuck you guys. You've trained me. You got me on TV. Yeah, and I'm going to take a contract with someone else. I'm actually surprised he's stuck with Impact this long, even to the mm-hmm. point where I believe he's just recently he's signed on your deal to 2023. Yeah, there you go signed another yeah. deal which i heard on the daily update um that's where i heard it so yeah you know there is uh there is that and yeah he's in, and again he's he's not really a guy that I, I i think he's got a ceiling i think the fact that wb have never signed him the fact that he's even mm. i don't know i'm lower on this performance than maybe you are in that i don't think aw are ever, are ever gonna show any interest in him but you know he's He's shown like slow progress, you know, over the years is probably, you know, the best you, you can say for him. But it must be in his late thirties now, really. Because exactly. he would have been playing up until a fair age, wasn't he? In the NFL for like a good eight, nine years. Yeah, so he's maybe past that point. Um it, it is also the uh, the issue with him. But no, it was it was strange to see him in, in uh in Daly's place. Uh, I didn't expect uh, the young bucks to come out on an impact show. Um that's kind of another these um, forbidden door things are getting quite normal now, but you know that is that is quite uh, that should be a headline somewhere that uh, that the young bucks turned up on a, on an impact show, even if it was in a, in Daly's place. Yeah, their their interference in it was was very heavy handed. But I suppose if you're impact, you want to protect your your star, even if they did look a bit silly, just literally grabbing the referee and plonking him down and making him count, which made the referee look a fool. But hey, we were in Daly's place and that's what we do there, so why not? Um, and yeah, like I say, post match was. Strange as well with yeah Sammy Callahan coming out, um potentially building to this match with with Kenny Omega to slam Sammy Callahan and then Kenny Omega the dream match we all all definitely wanted that uh, at one point in our lives uh, leading to a, an angle with uh, with Don Callis firing uh, Sammy Callahan there and then putting putting that in doubt as well um although you know decent little uh, way to uh, to get people to to tune in um at least to uh, to impact uh, this week but yeah uh, kind of yeah. new newsworthy if not like hugely memorable match i would uh, i would say this one what was yeah yeah it's not really it's it's sorry no go for it what are you gonna say no go on oh please don't do this just i was just gonna say like <laughs> no 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 it's not very um uh like it isn't very sort of no it's not very it's not particularly a match you're kind of not missing anything with it with like the kind of you know and again they kept him kind of strong mm-hmm. at the same time there's just a real novelty involved with this it's like a weirder part of the relationship where you've had someone from impact in AEW in Daly's place mm-hmm. like in that way who isn't Don Callis or the Good Brothers like somebody who who feels like okay that's a really odd fit to have in there 
it's just that the, ultimately it's impact. So there's something mm. about the whole angle where you think, well, they kind of getting this slightly skewed. It's a very weird thing to go with Sammy Callahan as a baby face mm. with this when he's never been presented as a kind of baby face and they call him the draw, which I very highly doubt. I mean, <laughs> it's just a very, Maybe it's just, it's just kind of weird. Mm. Yeah. Like, and, and I watch it, and like I say, I think there's just a, there was just a novelty value of seeing this match. It's like Tony Schiavone commentating on it. And I thought, actually, like, I thought he did a cracking job, mm. considering he really know like, you forget about him as the lead announcer, and you go, my God, he can do it. And he can do colour, and he mm. can do interviews. Like, he, my God, how valuable is Tony Schiavone? Because I think mm. at times it's the idea of, like, you don't want to hear people from a certain era and the rest of it, like, with the not liking J.I. You go, no, Schiavone's great and should never be going anywhere. That mm. bloke is absolutely worth his weight in gold. Totally. So, yeah, I've ended up talking about Tony Schiavone and a moose, Kenny Omega. <laughs> like, going on? Impact just wished they could afford Tony Schiavone. That's the uh, that's the issue. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you, you mentioned uh, you saw uh, another match on, on the show. What else, what else did you see from this show? I only saw the opener, and it was it was just it was a tag match. I only watched it because I wondered if there'd be uh, storyline implications with the uh, with the Good Brothers and, uh, and Sam Hallahan going into the main event. There wasn't much going on there. There wasn't a big Josh Alexander match um, on this show, uh, unfortunately. Um, um, so yeah, there wasn't. There is a, on Friday. Yeah, on New Japan Strong. I saw that in your daily update. Yeah, that there you go. That's where that lad should be, rather than on this show. Because um, without him, it was kind of lacking, wasn't it? There wasn't really anything on on this show on the the undercard. You would say was uh, desperately worthy of a watch. Again, a novelty match. I say Kojima versus Joe Doring in the battle of former Triple Crown champions mm. taking place in an empty arena in Nashville. Mm. It's very weird as a match. It's not notable. I went three stars. I'm sure some of that is just nostalgia. It's just the idea that in the if you are ranking 50-year-old wrestlers, and I think we seem to be doing that on an almost weekly basis, mm-hmm. he's definitely up there, Kojima, as certainly mm-hmm. one of the more agile, one of mobile ones. But you look at these cards, it's like you've said it, you said it at the start of this. These Impact Plus cards, they generally look the same. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to watch three hours of wrestling content, you'll see worse. But a lot of it is absolutely bang average. I mean, if you've seen one fire and flavor, like kind of knockouts, tag team title defense, you've really seen them all at this stage. <laughs> and I don't think you're going to miss anything with them beating Kimberly and Susan. Like, so I'm looking at it going, I don't think I've got the time to watch this. And I kind of know what's going to happen with it. So there's a lot of it that's, it's just very nondescript. They keep the stories going along. I would say they run a much tighter kind of narrative ship than they have done for quite some time. Hmm. I think with all of these taping and pre-taping stuff, there's at least a focus to impact that's very rarely been there over the last few years that makes you feel like, not that they're turning some sort of massive corner, but it doesn't seem like a place that's always in crisis, which is what it has been at lots of times, and just firefighting and load of nonsense. If you think back to the days when Billy Corgan was having to fund tapings, otherwise the whole place would go bust. Well, they seem to be in this relatively stable position. They provide content, and the content provided is, eh, it's okay. <laughs> like, you're not going to lose. Yeah, nothing to get excited about. Impact that's Wrestling. Josh Alexander there. That, Impact that, Wrestling, yeah, that's basically it's okay. what it is. Impact Wrestling, it's okay. It's nothing to get excited about. That should be the new tagline. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Get it out there. Cross the line. No, get rid of that one. It's okay. <laughs> and Matt Strike is no longer on commentary. They're the uh, they're the main headlines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but I suppose uh, we should move on to uh, from Impact and AEW related matters to 
more dynamite, but dynamite kid rather than uh, than dynamite and, and AEW. Mm. Uh, the the other thing that we uh, we both watched this week was uh, the Dark Side of the Ring episode on uh, on Dynamite Kid. And tell you what, JP, you're a I was going to say you're a fan of wrestling's bastards. I, I won't say fan. You're a uh, historian of uh, of wrestling's bastards uh, over time. Yes. <laughs> and Dynamite Kid is uh, is very much top of that list. And yeah, I think. You know, this is a it's a tough documentary to make. I, I almost felt like the uh, this was an interesting one, and that the uh, the working out was very much on the table on this one. It was almost like, you know, you literally had you know Dynamite Kid's ex wife um, literally saying like during it, you know, yes, he was scum. Yes, he you know outright she says you know he assaulted me. Yes, he did all this and this, but also you should remember him as a wrestler. And it was kind of like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I suppose. And like, there was a lot of like, you know, that's how he wants his daughters to mem- um, to know him. You know, as as kind of like his legacy in in wrestling. And it feels like that family, particularly, you know, struggle with that. Um, and struggle with you know the the idea that you know uh that 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 that's that's kind of who he was. You know, I I suppose it shouldn't be a surprise. It's Michelle, isn't it? His wife. She's a of a, of the Hart family. So yeah. you know that family has has known tragedy um over the years. But yeah, I felt like the documentary struggled with that. Julie Hart bit. is her sister. Is that right? Uh, oh, Brett's I believe wife so. is her sister. That's right. Yeah. So she's not a Hart, yeah. but she's like you know Hart adjacent, I suppose. Yeah. 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 And obviously, yeah, Julie Hart was a good talking head on this as well as as far as you know giving. Whether you wanted to or not, humanizing um, dynamite a little bit, and you know we are both big fans of, and again, fan is maybe the wrong way, but you know historians of of dynamite kids book, you know, back in the day, that's a mm. it's a hell of a read um, of a absolute cunt of a man who, who pulls no punches in explaining what a cunt of a man he is, and yeah, I, I did feel like the dark side of the ring team did a a good job maybe of of getting across that while also maybe not living in denial about like the influence he had um over wrestling um you know in the years since he's died yeah i thought they got it back together a bit from that warrior episode which was awful mm. and this one again it was slightly more of the kind of nuanced look that you kind of wanted to have out of the warrior episode like the a and e documentary he had so there's an idea of this guy is an influence at the same time they're these children who've got like very you know young memories of him when they were very little about how much they would kind of like him and then he he kind of leaves doesn't he he Mm. just sort of goes away and then doesn't want to kind of see them again and he's a complex figure because he is so incredibly influential in good and bad ways and i remember we we kind of had a conversation about this uh when he died uh, a couple of years ago i remember us, us talking about it there and I think this kind of manages to capture some of the complexities of kind of why is he like this? And it's like he's kind of a product of his environment. Mm. And there's also the sort of, sort of small man syndrome there as well. And there's a kind of general level of sadism. And none of these things are surprising. Certainly if you've read the book from there as well, it did provide one of the weirder kind of reenacted segments with the lad who's pretending to be Dynamite Kid shitting into a bag. <laughs> So there's just one light where they use. He looked like he'd never taken a shit in his entire life. (laughs) You know the way that they normally have those reenacted segments at times. I find quite funny. Yeah, like I'm always looking and going, they've done a good job here with this one. This is like this is, and this one was just kind of weird. It's just Mm. like him taking a shit into the bag. Mm. But it was again at the same time, 
I think the other thing that's important in this is that you're speaking to Michelle Billington and you're yeah. speaking to the kids, and especially Michelle Billington, because really, and Julie Hart, mm-hmm. because also as well at the same time, they kind of know wrestling, if it makes any sense. Like, they're not, they're not people that, they're, they're kind of wise to it. So at the same time, they kind of, under they get the kind of complex legacy of you've got someone like a terrible artist who makes great art, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, or a terrible person as an artist who makes great art. That's the kind of, of attitude they've taken to this and i was just glad he got some of the complexity in there mm. and i thought it was an easier watch than what i thought it'd be because i just thought it'd be an hour of him being an absolute prick mm. and instead like by the end there was stuff i i i kind of for some re- weird reason i hadn't couldn't remember about this 96 mishinoku pro match that he had because oh, my god terrible. that was like oh it was awful mm. wasn't it and um you always knew about him and his flat in Wigan. Is it Wigan he was living in? Oh, amazing. I was going to mention this. Like, I remember when I, you know, again, being part of like the Wigan wrestling scene, like we'd go and go into GPW shows, we'd be on the way there, and like there'd be other trainees going, oh, literally pointing out at his house, going, oh, that's where Dynamite lived. We should go knock one day. You know, it's like as if we'd fucking, you take a shotgun to us, like if we turned up and, hello, Dynamite, yeah. I'd like to talk to you about wrestling. But it was like a well known thing, you know, that, that he was, it's, Feels Call wrong. him Tommy's good with that. <laughs> I mean, if you're his daughter, you can turn up on his doorstep. That's what we we, we learned from this show. And that was genuinely a, a nice. Virgil film. did. Yeah, Virgil. There's a, there's a picture. That's that's going in the show notes. The picture of Virgil. Imagine Virgil just knocks at your door one day to say hello. Um, like, look, if I was that, I think I'd turn him away. Um, but like that, that was genuinely though. Like I'd hear that. Like yeah, you know that you know wrestlers people used to contact him all the time you know to either get him to do shows in Wigan or you know like he did when he turned up at the King of England tournament um you know he, there are like he's done it you know he, he he's appeared at shows but also became a recluse for, for such a long time that like yeah people would try and get in touch with him and he'd either ignore them or like you hear horror stories of like wrestlers traveling from America like his friends to go and visit him and he wouldn't answer the door you know um that's how much of a recluse he, he came at, at, at that point in his life and it is you know considering he's someone who I think Meltzer was great on this as a talking head as far as putting over how really the point wrestlers emulate Dynamite Kid now without knowing they're emulating Dynamite Kid because they're emulating Eddie Guerrero or they're emulating Owen Hart or they're emulating, it's hard to say, Chris Benoit, who were all, or Bret Hart even, who were all, you know, influenced by by Dynamite Kid himself. Um, and, you know, that I think Meltzer's greater at putting that into context. And, you know, you mentioned that match, you know, in his return to, to Japan, to Michinoku Pro, where he looks hugely in pain. And that is the Dynamite Kid story. And I've always struggled with the story because it's like the idea is, oh, well, you young wrestlers mm. today, you should, you know, you saw it this week with Lance Storm and Jack Evans on Twitter, you know, going back and forth, which is hilarious because Jack Evans completely fucking finished Lance Storm. <laughs> uh, but Lance Storm's making that, you know, that whole, oh, that old God, wrestler yeah. quote of when we were wrestlers, you know, we used to work the punches and call the fans marks. And now we really hit each other uh, and the fans know it's not real. So who are the real marks now? And it's like, oh, fuck off, will you? Like, I hate, I hate that, like, old timey. Oh wrestler logic and tied to that is like the lesson of well you know you can't go full speed like dynamite kid because you'll end up like dynamite kid and i mean there are wrestlers who terrible things happen to don't get me wrong chris benoit being one you know eddie guerrero being one you know wrestlers who lives lightly live life lives of of pain but 
you know, Dynamite is unique in his case in that, like, you know, the, the effect of him was extremely severe. And I, I, it's a style thing, don't get me wrong, working that style on those hard WWF rings and, you know, clearly having no regard for his body as 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 piled up but i think it was almost his personality more than that it was more the not just his yeah. ring style it was the fact that when he was injured he didn't stop you know when he at least these wrestlers today that you can make fun of for landed on the head in front of 20 people if they get injured they you know they're, they're probably gonna at least take a week off you know dynamite wasn't built like that and you know dynamite was putting all kinds of things into his body to to work the next night and putting all kinds of things in his body to get bigger you know twice as big as his actual frame you know really should have ever been big which also caused physical problems and with him i think the in-ring style is the bulk of it don't get me wrong but it's almost that cocktail of things and the fact that you know as his his ex-wife alludes to to depression and his personality traits of being just a a little man you know a big man in a little man's body who wants to start fights and was an increasingly violent person towards the end of his life and his mental health deteriorated as a part of it i think it's it's really that cocktail of things that made him such a a bad fit for the wrestling business and and led to that really awful result yeah you're right i mean it's it's a toxic combination isn't it of a Mm. lot of kind of things i mean in, in some ways he's he's not used necessarily enough as a cautionary tale certainly about how to kind of manage it and it's really like he should be more than anything else because there's there's so many things that he does and deals with in a way that is that is kind of terrible i mean like when it when you look at the frame that he has it's kind of natural frame and you think about the amount of muscle that he packed onto there as well and you look at the time of when he's doing it and you think my god like he's he's got a number of things in his body and like you say he's got a mood and a temperament that is like it's it's very dark mm-hmm. and it's very cruel and there's a lot of there's a lot of that you hear about me is like there's a certain there's a real degree kind of like cruelty and nastiness and if you read these stories if you read the Bret Hart book as well like yeah. there's plenty of that stuff in there and again it would have been interesting to have kind of Bret as a talking head I don't know if he would have necessarily done I mean obviously he had his own documentary as well to, to kind of focus on but he would always be someone who is who is kind of the stuff he would say about dying about dynamite kid and it was like it's no surprise ultimately that he ended up the way that he ended up and it's the idea that rather than like change or do anything about it he just became a recluse and that was it and i think even i can remember there was the documentary about him the one that davy richards did the um voiceover for like uh and it was high spots i think and they would have paid him some money. And effectively, the problem is they're padding it out because he doesn't want to answer questions. He's got no interest in answering questions. He's not going to regale like a shoot interview with with like stories of his past. It's just, and I think it's it makes him very complex, mm-hmm. like as a human. And that, in some ways, as I was saying about the warrior stuff, that makes him more interesting as a documentary yeah. subject. And right. that's why this one after not really looking forward to it, because I just thought, oh, here we go. They're going to be... Dynamite's going to be a cruel prick. And that, mm. that'll be the narrative. Because I was so disillusioned after that Warrior one, because I thought it was really bad. Like a bad piece of TV. And the first time where I thought, well, you've really misfired here. Mm. This one was better. And yeah. it was much more much more on form. Well, even the fact that they, they reached out to, like, you know, 
his real life friends in you know Dan Spivey mm. and um, who's the one there? Scott Scott McGee wasn't it? Who's in any yeah. of that really really hair? Do you know where is he from? Yeah, <laughs> I think was he supposed to be was Scottish? He... I wasn't sure. Well, at times I was like, is he is he from is he from the north? Yeah, where in the north? Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't get my head around. I didn't know if he was putting on the accent. It was I thought weird, it was the, it? the gimmick, yeah. like. Okay. Who is Scott McGee? Can anyone tell us? Like, no, nope. Gary if he's Port. Not, is it Gary Ports? Well, if he's not doing a Scottish gimmick, JP, he should have been because Scott McGee is the pair. It's like it's almost like a made up name, and it's Scott McGee. Yeah. Like, like that. But like him and him and uh, Spivey, like they humanize him in some ways, even though mm. he is a piece of shit. And you know, Matthew rightly says in the chat, you know, there's there's even a story about dynamite breaking a little kid's leg, so a. a a father could get insurance money like this is high grade premium piece of shit uh, like human being right. we're talking about but it's not an interesting documentary i think unless you do get the people who were with him in the trenches and i do what i do watch that thinking wonder what you two lads got up to as well you know while you were all pilled up on audible i wonder like you know i'm sure dynamite right. wasn't the only evil one in the uh in the group um i wonder but i thought that was interesting i it felt like you could tell his ex-wife was fuming that they had to cover the Rougeau story, like, and they had to. You can't, you can't not. You know, it is a big part of the downfall of him, really. Where you know he, the famous story of him punching out uh, Jack Rougeau and then Jack Rougeau, whether you believe him or not, because he feels like he's completely full of shit and he's taken far much too much joy in telling the story about how he he hit a dead man with a, a roll of quarters um, and taking far too much joy in the the weird turn that story takes and that Dino Bravo and and the mafia apparently gave <laughs> gave him a warning like cigarette smuggling Dino <laughs> that was so fucking Back weird fucking apparently Dino like, had moved out of his house because of a, a note that was left or something for the mafia I couldn't even put, put yeah. it was like an episode of Sopranos I couldn't put together exactly what the threat was or or what exactly Rougeau was alluding to that they'd done but like Rougeau was having far too good a time, good a time going well yeah I did get the mob involved yeah. so yeah that, that part is true he was like, I didn't like Dino, and I told him this lie, and uh, and he went and uh, and he went and told the mob. It's very, very weird. And the problem with Jacques Rougeau is he does come across as such a bullshit merchant. Yeah, if you listen to it, Sammy Zane and Kevin Owens, will tell you all yeah. about what a bullshit merchant that man is. If you ever hear any interview with them, I can remember Kevin Owens just kicking off about this. They weren't allowed to wrestle anywhere else, and when he was taking him, all yeah. of their money. Yeah. yeah. But inexplicably, he's a big draw in Quebec, which has <laughs> never made sense. Like, he beat Hogan, for fuck's <laughs> yeah. sakes, in fuck? Quebec. What? Like, how do you get... Like, I don't know how that happens. But anyway, yeah, like, he's such a bullshit merchant. But that's part of... That That story is kind of part of the mythology, isn't it? And, you know, and then as soon as he's leaving wwf like for you mentioned it for dynamite at that point he's just kind of he just feels like he goes completely off the rails in a very short period of time he's doing bare knuckle fights by the end of it i didn't know about that (laughs) imagine you went to like a bare knuckle fight in a garage somewhere and you've got to fight dynamite kid like what did what yeah it doesn't shock you though it's like those lads who'd be playing alex higgins games of pool for like a tenner a time when he was like heavily drinking and buying beers with him, and I hear stories about people in Belfast who do that, and he ended up kipping on their sofa and stuff like, I'm like fucking world snooker champion. <laughs> Sorry. 
So fucking weird. Very yeah, and Dynamite doing that as well. I'm like, what else would he have done at that point in time? Yeah, he's it, it very much a kind of cautionary tale in a lot of ways. You know what's interesting though, like, and I've only really just thought about it now. You know what they really didn't cover? His relationship with Davy Boy. Like I feel oh, like never that, that's didn't, a did it? big part of the story, isn't it? Of him that you don't come. Maybe the family didn't want to talk about it, or they didn't want to, you know, with Davy being dead as well, like drag up all of that. But that, I feel like that's a big miss spot from this documentary. Like that's a a big part of you know they they kind of briefly mention about all the fact he didn't want to stay in WWF, and you know they show the footage of them dropping the belts when he's injured, where Davy literally has to carry him out to the ring, and then he gets hit by Jimmy Hart's megaphone and. Like the, I remember that. The, the whole of the match. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing it as a kid, or or even Survivor Series '88, which is their last appearance. Like I used to rinse mm-hmm. that tape, and I had no idea. I had no idea that was the last time they were ever, ever in a WWF ring um, together as a team until I saw this documentary. But they don't go further than that on the relationship, and considering how much mm-hmm. Dynamite hated Davy and how much you know the the stuff with the British Bulldog IP for like lack of a better word was was a big part of of both of their story. That's a yeah strange miss that I'm. I'm confused a little bit so why that wasn't in there yeah that is very weird isn't it i mean when you think i mean at times it didn't it's not like they focused on the tiger mask feud for like a tremendous amount of time is it i mean like he gets brought up but it's not something they go deep in or think that speak to um satori sayama is, is it sayama it is isn't it mm-hmm. um you know why not speak to him no they're not they're not doing anything like that but i mean i think that's in some ways because they've got the guests that they've got on there Mm. That it's probably going down, a going that family route. But mm. of all the things not to mention, I do remember that it was like, yeah, the the Davy Boy Smith stuff is the kind of weirdest thing to leave out because that's what they're known for. Remember when he did like the All Star shows, like after he left the WWF and they'd have on the posters the British Bulldog, and then like in small print. Tom Billington. <laughs> like, <they> do, <laughs> all these kids going to the shows thinking it was the uh, peak WWF era British Bulldog and it was uh, nah. a barely mobile Dynamite Kid and said, hardcore fans like us would have been more made up to see Dynamite Kid than, than David Waysmith. But yeah. Um, no, in the chat that he injected steroids into people for fun. That sounds like Dynamite Fucking Kid. Fucking hell, he's a, he's a, he's, yeah. Oh, but t- don't get me wrong brilliant top, wrestler top five pieces of shit in wrestling history like and there's a lot of pieces of shit in wrestling history yeah um but yeah um still yeah. a documentary like this has got a it's got to be well-rounded i think yeah you hit the nail on the head jp that's what the issue was with the ultimate warrior documentary so you know at least as, as a piece i think it was a, a definitely a, a better piece of work than that last week yeah, um, I do, and I was just glad it was an improvement. They take a break now, or they've got that's weird, a China. T- they've got a China documentary that's not part of this. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's like they're like they've decided to do six mm. episodes, and now Dark Side of the Ring is off for the summer, <laughs> and then they're back in like is it August something like that to come back? Like you say, there's this weird China documentary in the middle that's not really a Dark Side of the Ring, but I've been really enjoying this series. I don't know, maybe, I suppose last year it wore out its welcome a little bit and we weren't loving it so much towards the end, but yeah, a bit strange they've gone that route. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got a second half of seasons to come on there, haven't we, as well? So, um, you know, we've got an XPW one to come up. Mm. Rob Black. True. True. Um, Messiah. Oh, God. New Jack and Vic Grimes. That'll all be there as well, won't it? That'll 
you go. Some happy stuff fun. to look forward to in the second yeah. half. So it'll be a lovely story that. Uh, but yeah, it's a shame. I've been I've been enjoying the uh, the documentary wars up until this point with A and E versus Dark Side. So yeah, look forward to it. That's starting up again, but uh, yeah, I suppose that takes us on to the other miscellaneous uh, things we've uh, we've been watching this this week. I mean, I can mention JP that I saw uh, Miko Setamora and Kaylee Ray on NXT UK. You want my full review? Go listen to a British wrestling experience. Decent four star match though. Listen, um, no, it was it was genuinely like a, a decent piece of business. Like the one thing you can say about NXT UK is the big matches like this. The don't always deliver but you know when they deliver they do you know despite the surroundings mm-hmm. despite the dead setting despite the commentary trying to make sure you know it was the forever champion versus the final boss good god did they repeat that a billion times um but the match itself was very good it was it was it was it's Miko Setamora, so what do you expect? But the way it was structured, where it was like she was like on her last legs and was dead, and it felt like the match was coming to its conclusion, she was going to lose again. And then there was like this whole other arc, like another five minutes on top of the match, where she basically makes a, a second comeback and, and finally puts Kaylee Ray down. I, I hate to be recommending NXT UK matches to anyone, especially with the commentary. You know, I love, used to love Nigel Beginners, but fuck knows, he's been, he's been, any, 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 anything I liked about him has been killed in that WWE system it's still got all the problems with the BA machine in the background still got all the problems that it's booked by that cunt Jim Smallman who's just recycling bookings from his progress run as our, our friends at Graps and Claps will say but as, a, <laughs> as an isolated match if you can get past the fact that legendary wrestler Miko Setamora is settling um, for a life uh, living on shitty breakfasts and uh, in Red Wings travel lodges and, uh, and living in the UK to work for NXT UK um, it is a decent bit of work. I, that was a, a match I, I, th- I threw an easy four stars onto a, onto Grapple this week. I don't know if you managed to catch up with it, JP. I didn't, and it is one of the ones where I was thinking it did look intriguing. A little, there was a lot of fanfare before, behind it. So, and they're both really good. So, like, it doesn't necessarily surprise me for that. I mean, it's it's this weird thing of like, if you ask me which one I hate more, I obviously hate NXT UK more than I hate NXT. <laughs> but NXT UK does seem actively better than NXT. Like I, th- I think, just generally, maybe as a product, like in terms of like delivering on those those kind of big matches from time to time. It's I'm not, just... you know, this is very faint praise I'm giving them. By the way, oh, it's as basic as basic gets. Um, like as yeah. a show goes, it's cookie cutter WWE product. You know, if, if yeah. you're into it, you're into it. I mean, Andy Ogden said earlier in our chat that you know, and he said it on BWE when he was on. You know, he yeah. does generally enjoy NXT UK and he joined that show, and that's coming from him. You know, he's. I, I am. I am. He is Mr. Brit Res. Um, it's not me or anyone mm. else. It's uh, it's Andy Ogden at the moment. I would say he's the uh, he's the king of Brit Res right now. And if he says that, then you probably should listen to him. Um, but yeah, we we talked about that on there, and just briefly, I mentioned yeah, that threw me uh, my ratings mm-hmm. of the progress as well well and the if you were gonna bother watching the progress show and you probably won't because as we talked about last week it was me don bell andy and like ian (laughs) i think we were the only people at that point who put our ratings in and there's been a couple more since but you know if you do happen to watch that last progress show genuinely like the the kid like horses against the young guns was a decent main event tag still don't understand the like horses don't understand what their act is don't really get it 
don't really get putting the belts on them except for the fact that maybe you know if you if you put the young guns over where's you go next with them because there isn't really any other tag teams in that company um and i, I suppose i will say as i said on be the be a kid like us and kid like us too are an act for the schadenfreude kids they're not for me um so you know that's the yeah. uh, the market they're trying to appeal to there but that was that was a fun little tag match even if it did concern me that at one point ethan allen stopped in the in the match mid-flow to stare at the tag belts on the outside and give the uh, the big dramatic moment of how much it meant to him i was like good god i don't want to see these two lads on air on nxt uk anytime soon i want those oh, types no, of uh, no, no. traits worked out of these lads and i want them to work just hard hitting shoot style matches instead but still a lot of fun and a, a, a really good you know tag match a three and a half star or so tag match and the other match that I gave 3.75 stars this week on Grapple JP to a uh, to a progress match, and it was uh, Chris Ridgeway and uh, and our mate Dean Olmark, who uh, I saw he, uh, he liked and endorsed the uh, the tweet on uh, on Twitter uh, about uh, about the BWE episode. Didn't go as far as retweeting it, which I can understand because we were very mean to his opponent, Chris Ridgeway, in the match. Uh, but we've come a long way, AJP. Remember that time we had a little we had a conversation about Dino once on uh, on Spotlight. I think it was on Indie Corner. Yeah, and we were trying to say you know he's a camp worker but he's a camp worker who could actually do like the indie style you know and that's always been what i like about the you know he's got one foot in each camp for lack of a better word and i think chinese whispers yeah. got to him and like he did some tweet about oh these fucking podcasts talking about me like i'm just a camp worker and it was like oh, he's definitely not listened to you but somebody's given him chinese whispers about what we've said about and we've never never been mean about you know and he was always he's always been a gentleman we've always been lovely about him yeah, yeah. And I, I even I reached out to him for a quote for one of the uh, the Fighting Spirit magazine pieces that I did um, that one of the the one to watches I did I can't even remember who it was on now but like he got he got back to me within seconds um you know with a with a full quote and you know he's just a genuinely like good guy and mm. he's someone who I tell you what you know if Gareth was here he'd you know he he basically queued me up for BW last week to say it that like it's actually embarrassing that progress are only booking him now and they're only booking him now because they were too cool to book him in the past because he was a camp yeah. wrestler so we're never going to use a Dean Omar you know we're punk rock you can imagine it you know or look at him in his British flag shorts or you know his baggy red and blue shirt the Dean 2 extreme shorts that he wears Never mind the fact he's always been one of the better wrestlers in the country, you know, yeah. and he's only getting a crack now because there's fucking no one left. And part of the reason I gave 3.75 to this match on the grapple app was that, you know, I almost commend Progress for putting him over. They actually had them beat Chris Ridgeway, and Ridgeway's been, you know, the linchpin for poor by crooks he's actually he's really not good enough to be the linchpin of these shows but he's been like the that guy in all the semi-main events having the quote-unquote you know match of the night style on these shows so you would have expected him to go over but no this you know current progress regime at least were brave enough to put put dean Omar over i don't know if that says more wow. about the, the state that we're in um or what but you know i was just glad to see it it was heartwarming and to be honest he was great in the match like there was loads of great technical exchanges he does loads of interesting counters he's got that ruby cutter yeah. and other like little cool moves that he does that you don't see anybody else do um and he adds like an actual interest and dynamic to to a chris ridgeway match and if i'm calling a chris ridgeway match interest and then i think that says everything and the fact that i gave it 3.75 stars on an empty arena progress show probably says everything as well i would you know not say it's the match of the year or anything but i would quietly say people should check it out i remember listening to this review i was in Lidl in their beer aisle when you was talking about Dean, Alm Dean Allmark versus Chris Ridgway, as I was choosing a variety of the grapefruit pale ale. That, that oh, really was great. Nice. Yeah. It's good. Hell of a beer selection. You're definitely right about it. I thought, well, I'm going to treat myself, go up there and get a couple of beers for Saturday. 
and then came back and watched Denmark, Finland, and then didn't really feel like drinking then for the rest of the evening. You kind of, <laughs> um, but at the same time, like I completely agree with you with about Dean, Dean Allmark on that. I mean, this is someone who the impression I always get in a lot of the clips you always see is someone who he so loves the craft of wrestling. He likes innovating and doing different stuff and different counters and trying it out. So he seems like, like for someone as a trainer out there who seems to be a bit more kind of outside the box, and I don't know how much training he does necessarily, like training of other wrestlers, he's always like an interesting figure. And I think like having gone to a few of the kind of camp type shows near here, like you you appreciate after a while if you watch as much wrestling as we have you really appreciate appreciate those kind of workers like that's why i was kind of happy that like the likes of i don't know he's 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 not doing normal but the like the robbie x getting kind of some good reviews and the rest of it you kind of think these are people that you need on your card they they're what make a couple of really good matches for you and you're going to remember those matches when you go and they're not they may not be the things necessarily to blow you away, but what you're watching is professional wrestling done very, very well. And that's the, the thing when I look at Dean Olmott, you think professional wrestler, someone whose profession is wrestling. Therefore, he experiments with wrestling. I don't know shit about his merch, but I know he sure as hell knows counters and he knows how to do basic mat wrestling and he needs and he can work pretty much any yeah. other style. And... Yeah. He's important to this scene as it is now because you you realize how wiped out this scene is, oh, and cool. someone like that is going to be important not necessarily for him being the champion, but for him getting people ready to take on bigger roles and have bigger matches. And it's he's someone to get in. And the impression I get is that like this is someone who is like he's ultimately like a professional, and he gets this as a professional, and he loves it. And I think, you know, like lads like that are worth their weight in gold. And we spoke about a, a few people like that who are around on the scene, like your Doug Williams and your Jody Fleisch and your Johnny Storm. Coming soon to like... Progress, Jody Fleisch. They announced them on that show. Yeah. <laughs> like, coming they back did. to Progress, they said, not coming soon. It's like, you cunts. As if he, you know, if he was in Progress, it was like for a cup of tea once, once or twice. Yeah. Like, you know, he wasn't a Progress. Because also, they were too cool for Jody Fleisch as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I'll say about those, I'll say it about Dino. You're right about him being that veteran hand that's needed on shows, but I'm telling you, like, if Gareth was here, he'd be telling you, like, those pieces. CW shows he was always a highlight when he was on them he's always a highlight when he's on TNT Dylan's mentioned in the chat you know Tuesday night graps he was starting to do towards the end as well where he was he was offering something different it it is nice to see but I mean I'll end my, my positive words there about progress anyway shows itself as any, anyone who listened to B2B will hear same old shit Roy Johnson talking to an empty empty arena while weird I beat the music plays in the background slightly better commentary because they binned off one of the uh, the commentary lads and made them uh, made them uh, do Charles Crowley do some uh, do some managing instead they had a slightly more professional job but still the same same old crock of shit and the progress is at the, the minute and still you know I'm, I'm being honest like it's not progress yeah. is it's got every sign of you know when it comes back i don't see it as being on a higher level than a pnc P, pnc pcw or or tnt mm. or you know future shark or any company like that i think this this level of importance we gave to progress over the years i suppose the only thing it's going for is it's on the wb network but they're not offering a more compelling or, or bigger star-laden pro product than any of those other guys and yeah i think we're probably gonna have to uh, set our uh, expectations and uh, an alignment thusly going forwards as well but um anyway an easy thing to do 
Mm. Now I was going to say it's an easy thing to do for me not to watch progress. It's not. I, I don't find that tricky in the slightest. And again, I kind of feel like you're the canary in the coal mine. I'm happy for you to watch it, so I don't have to. <laughs> there you go. And great segue because speaking of things, Benno didn't watch. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. What have you been watching this week, JP? I try. Well, I honest. I read. I look. I saw Rich Creech put over this stardom match and I know I had to go at mm-hmm. stardom last week and I, I saw John Pollock put it over and I saw the five star ratings coming into grapple and then I put it on for 10 minutes and I fell asleep I'm sorry JP I wanted to be with you and you not make you the canary in the coal mine for this but I believe stardom have had something uh, close to a, a five star match this week when you were tell the people about it yeah and you know a lot of people WH went five star oh, went full on five. This. I saw that on grapple yeah yeah, yeah. Not always gonna doesn't do that lightly. No, I went I went four and a half. Mm. I like, and it. I mean, one of the things was I watched it quite. I watched it quite late, so I started watching it probably about half past eleven, and it's forty five minutes. Only thing I've seen from this show is the main event. It's the World of Stardom Championship between Utami Hayashishita and Suri, and I mentioned earlier on about Zia Lee in the Performance Center. She's been there for four weeks. She had four years ago, she had a match with Mercedes Martinez. Uh, okay. Utami Hayashishita hasn't been wrestling three years. Yeah. Um, I think Suri's not necessarily as long. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that, that sometimes with stardom, the aesthetic, I kind of think it's not very us, if we're no. going to be truthful. And that can be part of the turnoff. I Born would say, this, so that, you know that makes sense, doesn't it? Sorry, <laughs> sorry. There is, you know, but that, I know there are non-pedophile stardom fans. I know, I know. But come on. But the problem is, is that with stardom, there has been a creep factor, and it's yeah. hard not to get away from that. And it's a barrier to entry. Thinking about this, however, what I have found in the stardom shows that I have watched is some of the best fucking wrestling on the planet. Like. And some of the more dramatic wrestling I'm seeing on the planet. I think the last time that I'd spoke about with Julia and, and um, uh, Mama Watanabe um, in the hair versus um, uh, the hair versus title match, like there was genuine drama and genuine tears. And here, like it was an all-out war. This was it was 45 minutes in total, so it goes half an hour. And then they, then they basically keep on hitting each other after the bell, so the referee carries it on, and it goes like another 13 minutes until they both collapse and they and they go out, uh, pass out. Both were amazing. There was no dull spots. I, it, it, as 45 minutes ago, it was kind of a breeze. And I think the last time I've seen a match of this length that kind of felt as good as this, and it was a little bit longer, was that, uh, do you remember the Goshiazaki Takeshi Segura match that me and mm. Gareth were raving about? Mm-hmm. Kind of up there with that. Wow. I mean... In terms of this, How long everything. Is it all together? So they're is it, working. Is it the Forty-five. Right. Forty-five. There is something about like a. I think they must be the greatest trainers in the world. All right. The what I thought about it is it's women training women. So basically, it's like an all-girls school. And what do we know about all-girls school? They perform a lot better when the fucking blokes aren't there, ruining everything. So it appears to be the stardom way of training is. This is how you do it. And it seems to work absolutely permanently because they bring up people who are just great. The way there was like no wasted motion. It's almost like there's like kind of three parts. So this is the beginning part. There's just loads of counters and working holes and technical mat wrestling. And because Suri has got MMA and a pancreas background, there's a bit of credibility there. At the same time, 
they're like kind of pretzels twisting in and out of these motions because of the size differentials aren't as big. They're, they're not clunky. So like you'll see people kind of really bend and arch their back on some of these moves. And it just hurt my fucking spine looking at some of this stuff on here. Then there was a point when they did that, it just went to the outside and it started to get kind of actively violent. And there was a lot of like, there was like an air raid crash on the apron. There was um, like a wheelbarrow with like, so she grabs Suri's head and just throws her back onto the apron and the back of her head hits it. And you're like, oh, fucking hell. So it just starts to get violent, which is the thing you don't expect with stardom. Stardom isn't the promotion where you think, oh, we might kick off here. Like it doesn't. And because they're there with these absolutely like kind of shit kicking eyes there, they just like towards the end, towards the end of the half an hour, you got Suri really desperate trying to get higher Shishita kind of anywhere in the ring in order to pin her. And, and she can't. And then they go into the like, like the kind of close falls. And at this point, I think, and it's one of these situations where it kind of adds to it when there's the slight scruffiness, scrappiness, so things aren't necessarily as smooth. You think, well, yeah, because they've been 45 minutes into a war. It should be like this. If everything is as smooth as what it is after a couple of minutes, it doesn't make any sense. And like they, there was a point where there was like Suri was doing lots and lots of um, like just going into arm bars on Haya Shishita and she, her ring positioning, but also knowing how to get the maximum amount of drama of being close to the rope, to, uh, close enough to be able to touch it, but also drag out that drama. And so the crowd at times are wanting to pop bigger. And it's, I think it's like um, Otto Ward's gym. I think it's, it's one of those. It's one of the reasonably like bigger Tokyo venues or more notable ones on there. But yeah, they don't meet the 10 count in the end. And so it's 45 minutes in total. I went four and a half. I think it's fucking brilliant. Crazy like, for a 45 minute draw. Like the people are going five. 45 stars, minute that's draw. What, that's what grabbed my no. attention. Yeah. And again, Hayashishita in the ring for three like less than three years. You're talking prodigies here. Like none of them. Zia Lee, who you saw at Takeover, could she have a 45 minute match like this? And she's been training for longer. It's a again another damning indictment of the performance center, but actually the highest of praise for how stardom train their wrestlers. And it just seems to me with stardom, and I haven't seen the rest of the show, like I say. But like I look at Hayashita and and Suri, and I'm thinking, yeah, I want to watch them have another one there. So it feels like Suri's been um, lifted up again there as well. Julia wasn't in a big slot. Neither was um, uh, Iwatani. She wasn't in a big slot. Neither was Momo Watanabe. Neither was Tam Nakano. And what you start to see is there's a roster being built here, like really being built here. And they're doing none of this really. They're not doing this with imports which has normally been part of what they've been doing. And, like, they're really on to something, I think, with this. And I think the way that they've... We've said many things about Rossi Agawa. At times when it comes to the star-making potential, he does know what he's doing. And in Hayashishita, she's just such a prodigious talent. And I think the first time I saw her was at that Budokan show. And the person she was in there had even less experience with her. And I went four stars on that match. Now, can you imagine giving someone who's two years in wrestling, someone who's one year in wrestling, having a four-star fucking match that isn't just pure exhibition and been worked, been rehearsed within an inch of its life? There's none of this stuff. It's real war wrestling, but kind of without the blood. It's very weird. 
because the whole presentation and the kind of dynamic of it, oh, that stuff just leaves me completely cold. Other thing that massively helped here, English commentary, Stuart Fulton, who doing the Lord's get him work, on the Olympics. He? The bit I heard yep. before, I fell asleep. I was just tired. Everyone had a long weekend in uh, in London. <laughs> it wasn't wasn't any uh, stuff. Well done, woodpecker laps. He loves yeah. saying stuff like he, that. Yeah, but you know he's doing a good job, isn't he? Like in 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 Mate. being that gateway to to these products. Like yeah. I, you know, I, I I just think a lot. I understand if you've been watching Japanese wrestling for a long time and you're used to the aesthetic of Japanese commentary. Fair enough, you know. But like you know, I I just think these shows, if you, if you wanna get into a worldwide market you need to have english commentary i even get annoyed when you know the torrent torrent boys the people who put it on xwt and put it put it on on watch wrestling you put the japanese commentary up it's like come on lads you want the world to watch this like throw the english version up you know yeah. like, you might well attract a few more fans for stuff like this and a few more visitors to to your website you know um why not well Stuart fulton also live translates the interviews as well which is yes. one thing if that tokyo olympics is going ahead he should be doing some of like the wrestling stuff on there, <laughs> doing some of the fucking judo stuff. The man has got a voice for that. He is Eurosport, and that's high praise from me. Like I know Eurosport seems like a way, of like honestly to God, it it's a way of commentating on wrestling that feels professional without at the same time. Like there's a very hard balance between kind of really kind of being into it and kind of like slightly fanboyish way but also at the same time remembering to call all of the moves and I have to say Stuart Fulton has managed to do that Mark Pickering has managed to do that like and they're doing it against when I'm seeing booking that I'm not liking and I'm still thinking well their commentary is like they are they're having to sell a fucking tough job on some of this stuff to me but in this match where the English commentary comes in handy and he was also Sonny Gutierrez so I can't forget um, he was like, as the co-commentator. They're filling in gaps in storylines and knowledge and how long they've been wrestling and Suri's background and things like that. And all of that stuff, that, that's the barrier to entry is why should you care? Well, here's someone who's going to explain to you the story of these wrestlers and why you should care. And that's why you need the English commentary. It's not about kind of appeasing a base that's already there listening to Japanese commentary because that's great. Listen to the Japanese commentary. You get it. You're invested in the story. But if you're like me and you're still relatively new to a lot of this stuff, and fuck me, I've been podcasting for five years. At this point, I need that. I need someone explaining some of these bits of it to me. And they're the first ones to do English subtitles. Massively important. But I can't highly recommend that you go out and watch this match. And like I say, the, the grapple ratings on it absolutely, you know, speak for themselves as well. You know, like you said, it... it it takes mm -hmm. a lot for you know someone as esteemed as as our mate the rich park you know someone proud to call a friend who's who's you know someone whose opinion on japanese wrestling i'd hold in as high regard as, oh, as yeah. absolutely anyone and if he's going out there and, and giving a match like this five stars then i think that that absolutely you know tells you everything you need to know about it. i know you've gone four and a half but you know i've seen plenty plenty of other people in the app going there i'm not the low man on the app i think you are i mean looking at it, the average is 4.67 um you know which is a high average for, for 43 votes as well so it's not like you know mm -hmm. it's it's a match that's getting a bit of traction you know you look at the the rest of the matches on the show and the, the, they're not really passing the 30 mark this is a match that i think people are parachuting in and i'm watching so yeah certainly understandable and it sounds like it's uh it's worth uh, the 45 minutes uh investment well you know I'm, I'm looking i'm looking at my ratings now for the year and i'm thinking this is 
like up there in my top five, like that's there at the moment. You know, it's it's kind of incredible, really, that you know this is where we are. But yeah, my you know when I think of of like the quality of women's matches, I think this might be the third or like might be the third Stardom match. I think I've got around my top ten. Which appears like makes me some of the biggest stardom fanboy in the world, but I've just been lucky to watch some fucking belt-in matches that they've had. It's it's worth it. Like I get though the reasons why people because the aesthetic. But if you're hearing about I mean, great wrestling, reg- great wrestling. Now that you've said that phrase, JP, that you've got three matches in your top ten, you are on a register. I hope you know um, you've been out. Sorry, I'll leave the fans alone. <laughs> That's fucking brutal. <laughs> Are you are you wrong in some case? But, uh, it's it's it really no. Honestly, to God, I think it's one of these things where like it, good wrestling, great wrestling is great wrestling, and this is great wrestling, and they're stars, and they're brilliant at it, and they're worthwhile, and they're actually putting together stuff that's really it's it's better than the vast majority in New Japan. Well, so yeah. like you know, if you're Bushi Road, you're thinking. Right, they've got a bit, still a bit mental over there. Seems to be nice and calm over here, <laughs> and they're the ones that are growing out of the Bushiro family. So, and you'll look. It was better than that Tokyo Joshi Pro match from the <laughs> Cyber Fight Festival. So you'll you'll enjoy it. I know forty five minutes seems like a slog, but do it early enough. Do it on like a Thursday, and you'll you'll like it. Well, our mate, uh, our mate Alan Cheapshot will be. Uh... Be wondering if uh you know his prediction might come true and we might get some stardom on new japan shows as well but you know um, I, think need, yeah. I think they need the juice mate <laughs> i think I maybe they do maybe they do um but yeah i suppose uh, there was one uh, did you want to mention uh some of the aussie graps you've been watching as well before we go jp i did um uh, i want to mention mcw new horizons um again another really fun mcw show I know Andy did a show on Aussie Graps with uh, with Chris and with Shauna and with Jeff. And again, I'm kind of fascinated to know what you and Gareth will make of it when you see when you get around to maybe seeing the next of these shows on here. But again, it's a lot of the things I've kind of very familiar now, but I'm also like kind of more invested with some of the storylines. So I kind of get what's going on. So like for example, the, the match that people were, were going on about as much was Slex versus Royce Chambers. And Royce Chambers is kind of like a, a young flyer, Osprey-esque in terms of like being very young, a bit rough around the edges, but my God, the flying ability is there. Like there's something there for this. And again, it's a lot of the stuff where the presentation blitzes anything in Brit rest. Really does. Like, and it's and because it's in a proper theatre. And I would say if you are able to run theatres at available prices, it's definitely a good thing to do. But yeah, this is a really good match. I mean, there's kind of this is like a Slex farewell tour before he goes to Ring of Honor. And you know what? He has some great matches. Like, and this one on here, actually, I'd say I went three point seven five on it. It was the opener on there, but the Slex match is like the highlight of the night most of the time. And for me, it was the best match on the card as well. Like. Everything about Slex does a lot of stuff very, very well. So, like, as a presence, but also he's agile. He's in obviously great shape. Like as a as a as a wrestler as well, he looks good. He's like he's like a wrestler who's very confident in himself. Like he's had that good bit of time there, and you know he he looks like somebody who's like he needs a new challenge. He's like a good. He's like a um a very good football player at a slightly underperforming team who could do with going to a bigger 
a bigger team in all to see whether you know you kind of sink or swim. Here he looks very big in this promotion, but I mean, then this is a promotion with people with a lot of kind of generally good looks on here. I'd mentioned Rocky Bonero was on, Rocky Monero was on there. It's a great bastard heel, like really fun to watch as well. Um, now uh, they also had uh, they swapped the tag team titles. So you had the Brat Pack, which is their kind of next big star. They're building up Mitch Waterman and Nick Berry. They lost the tag titles to the Natural Classics. The uh, Stevie and Tome Philippe, um, who uh, and basically they're setting up Mitch Waterman because he won that kind of Royal Rumble match. So he's going to be like their kind of next sort of single star. So you can see that's one of the things they're leading to him, certainly in Royce Chambers as well. You know. They have a guy there doing a squat gimmick. Like a lot of this stuff is the kind of family show stuff that I kind of mention each time that they're that they're on here. Um, Caveman Ugg is there as well. Do you remember Caveman Ugg? The PWG stuff yeah, like that. I remember, have... Yeah, if you turn up randomly at like a boulder or something like that, and you'd be like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Uh, he wrestled a bloke called Gore, hmm. who is kind of looks like an Aussie version of Kane. Hmm. He's not great. I mean... He's a look. And came, he was there to lose to Caveman Ugg because he was going to take on the winner of the Adam Brooks-Robbie Eagles match, hmm. which in the end I went three and a half on. It, it wasn't necessarily as, as kind of high-flying and dynamic as it would be. A lot of the story was Eagles working over Brooks's knee, which is building to the wrong uh, Ron Miller special. Um, very solid back and forth. The Adam Brooks we saw, which I think the version when he came over when he was very young, when we met him... Hmm. Um, it was very much like he's a flyer. And actually, you watch these matches in MCW and he isn't. He's much more of a like, he's more of a, a, a kind of good all-rounder. Like he's he's a very proficient flyer, but he's not spectacular. So if you're looking out for that, you're never going to be that massively impressed. At the same time, very good on the mat. He's kind of got a very clear personality as well. So like, in some ways what we all forgot about at the time, if he didn't have the Osprey praise and he was just like a young Aussie wrestler coming over doing a few matches, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, you'd be fine. Hmm. Like, instead he came over with a lot more hype and he's like, what is this? This guy is not nearly as good as kind of like what he's been led up to with with Osprey and, and, and all the rest of it. But like, ultimately, I mean, and Robbie Eagles isn't like a kind of regular there. And and forget that Adam Brooks is contracted to Ring of Honor as well. So he's course, supposed yeah. to be going over. yeah. And Kellyanne, the women's champion, who didn't have a match on the show, they kind of did an angle in there as well. So, yeah, there's there's other storyline stuff they do, like which is all very comedy, and it kind of reminds you of Progress circa 2016. And you make of that what you will. There's these <laughs> undercard guys and these older guys who are doing these kind of storylines. Like there's a bloke called Cracker Jack who's going back to back to training again because he lost his Aussie legend, his MCW legends contract match to Lockie, to, to who is it? Lockie Hendricks. Who's a, like a, yeah, he's not very good. Um, <laughs> you know, but these are the kind of storylines that work for the locals that you're watching and you're thinking, well, this is just like their kind of bread and butter of their TV. So I would say again, like I've watched three of the last three of these shows. And again, full disclosure, I get sent the screen a copy of them. But it's still like three hours of my time. And if I didn't like it, I'd be fucking saying so. Hmm. But there's never on anything on here that's bad. It's all very well produced. It's easy to watch. The commentators are are generally very good. They manage to um like kind of convey all of the stories. It's not hard to kind of dip into, and that makes it a much easier watch. 
Um, and also, they've got an Iron Man ref in this bloke. I would say it's Edwin Lay. Like, he does all the... I like an Iron Man ref. I like I like a one-ref show. Hmm. I don't know why. I always <laughs> like a... Like, Respect I, the way it yeah. I do, yeah. I'm like... And at the end of the night, we need to be giving that ref a bit of a standing ovation as well. Yeah, and he's one of those. And okay. do you know what? Do you know how good he is? You don't even notice he's there most of the time, which is kind of what a referee should be. All the best refs and all the best commentators uh, are the ones you don't notice. I think yeah. that's, uh, that's true of all wrestling. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking at the grapple app. Yeah, Brooks and, and Eagles is uh, trending the highest of the matches from that show. Four points uh, okay. 0.5 as a as an average, and I believe the uh, the opener Royce Chambers and Slacks is doing all right at, at three point seven five as well. Not a, a mm. huge amount of uh, ratings in there for it, but you the imagine there'd be the more more coming. Obviously with the uh, the high praise from you and the high praise for Aussie Graps in general from there the likes of Andy Ogden and others it's like a damning indictment of what British wrestling is at the moment and don't get me wrong Australian wrestling has its problems one of the things since I've been talking about it is people have been very careful to say look there are issues around this and I get that like and I think that's the thing where that we're all going to find with wrestling there's still an element of where I think of wrestling knows its trust especially in areas where I don't really know the people or I'm not really aware of it so like it's still taking a lot of things on a kind of face value of it. But what I see of MCW is very, very professional. And like they even go to their school and their training school looks like the fucking, it looks like the NXT UK performance center, frankly. It's like a kind of real, what looks like to be a pretty decent setup with a couple of rings. And there's a, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from the European wrestling scene of the last few years. It's whether or not Australian wrestling really takes that on board. And that's everything going up to what happened a year ago as well with speaking out. Like there's a lot of like kind of stuff and general lessons, but as a scene, and I'd recommend again, highly listening to the, to Graps and Claps as well. And, you know, following Kevin Chiat on Twitter, because he knows a lot about the Australian wrestling scene. And, and there's, there's a lot of people, there's people in the chat, you know, there's always, people generally messing going yeah i'm kind of enjoying this stuff because it's filling a gap that brit rest can't really do and also when british wrestling does reopen it's gonna not gonna have that star power and i'm i'd be pleasantly surprised if the production values of uh have improved massively but i'm not gonna hold my fucking breath <laughs> yeah not so a, there you go none of us should no nice one for that well yeah and i think you know that uh, that kind of brings us to the end of things. Uh, nothing else you've uh, you watched mm-hmm. this week, JP? No, uh, no Tokyo Josie Pro in there, or or any nope. above? No, no, I've not watched any other. I'll get on Wrestle either, Universe so. and see if they've got one of their one match shows. Do you want me to send it to you? No, I'm all right. You know, no. I'll live. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's uh, that's everything uh, I've watched as well. Uh, I suppose just to, to get to the plugs, I was going to mention uh, did uh, episode of Music of the Mat this week that. that Montana mm. recording uh, today was happy to be a, a two-time guest on there. I think uh, Andrew Rich does incredible work. I've been a fan of that podcast since mm. since episode one. If you don't know it, it's on the Voices of Wrestling Network, and he goes through the different uh, theme musics of a of a wrestler, or sometimes a promotion, and sometimes a other gimmickry as well. But I did an Eddie Guerrero episode not long ago. Uh, people may have heard, and yeah, latest one was an episode all about the themes of CM Punk. Um, and yeah, talked my way into that one, JP. At the end of the Eddie Guerrero episode, I was like, you know, if you ever do a CM punk episode you know maybe maybe give us a shout and i think maybe uh my rant on uh, on hidden gems last week probably uh went in my favor as uh, uh not hidden gems sorry a missed opportunity 
is uh, probably uh, probably went away as well. But had a great time on that, you know, talking punk and his rando indie themes. Where like one week he'd have like you know Ice Cube, and then the next week it'd be like some screamo metal, and it was like yeah, yeah, they even had the Olay by the Bonson Skulls, and, and it was like. He, he had all kinds of different themes and his big ones though talking about like that AFI uh, Miziera Cantare uh, song that he had in for most of his Ring of Honor run uh, through to uh, Cult of Personality which I very much more associate with his uh, original Summer of Punk heel character than I do his, his WWE run um, but obviously he used it in both um, and then yeah some uh, other uh, fun theme selections he had included in his uh, Kill Switching Cage one that was actually a, a theme designed for Randy Orton uh, which uh, punk took and uh, and ran with uh, no had a, a great time uh, chatting with Andrew. So yeah, if you're interested in the the themes of uh, of CM Punk, definitely search uh, music of the map wherever podcasts are sold, or head over to our offerings Voices of Wrestling to uh, to check that one out. A good lad is Andrew. He's also an absolute demon on a wrestling quiz. Yes, which I've learned that I really am not. But when it comes to a wrestling quiz, quiz, my God, he's shit hot to say yeah. the least. He's the man. He's the man. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, we love Andrew, and yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun. Other than that, Gareth's not here, so I'll say download the Grapple app. You know, uh, you know, you know yeah. what it is. That's that's kind of all. All Gareth will say these days. Google that's Play, say. Apple yeah. Store, all of that, all of that. Yeah, Patreon.com/slash/Grapple. Anything I'm missing, JP? No, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Patreon.com forward slash grapple. Um, yeah, other than that, go in there, rate and review the matches. Let us know what other good matches I can see. Obviously, there are loads of other great matches in order to, to keep up with some of the stuff and even more PWA. And if you want to join in the chat as well, like obviously you can do that on the Brit Wrestlers Dead team. Just to, to mention that on there as well. So good plug good plug so yep that brings us to the end of a, another tuesday spotlight hopefully we'll be back on monday next week stay tuned uh, for detail as uh, we are all all uh, navigating a bit of a busy period at the moment but there'll be a bonus podcast uh, by the weekend look out for the uh, the poll patrons on it uh, on what we'll be doing but yeah other than that all i have to say is that we'll see you again next week for more fun see you then all bye This week on Patreon. Right then, let's talk about it. Let's talk some ECW One Night Stand. And yeah, obviously, as Gunny was saying, you know, 2005 uh, for him, he was 14. For me, I was heavy into Ring of Honor. JP was heavy into TNA. Like, uh, where were you, Gareth? What was uh, what was your situation then? Like, I, I was going to actually, on top of that as well, we haven't really had a lot of the conversation about ECW proper with it, I don't think. Because I think the, if I'm right, the ECW flashbacks we did, you weren't on. So... Yeah, no, I, I, I don't no, even know like whether ECW was like a you know this is like a a big thing of like your wrestling fandom or whatever. We've not really talked about it at any point. Yeah, I mean for me it was it was one of those things where at, at first it definitely like bled into my consciousness through like Superstars Wrestling Magazine and Power Slam Magazine because they always featured it very prominently, didn't they? They always had like the the photos in there and things, and I can like I can really you know vividly remember that time where there was a the whole thing when Shane Douglas you know won the um, NWA title and obviously they did that angle where he you know he he sort of declared it the 
there with the Extreme Championship Wrestling World title and and that and that was something that was like to me at that age, I don't know what would that be was that like 93 94 maybe something like that and it was mm. pretty it just felt pretty cool that it just felt really different and, and and unique so then you were kind of watching it and reading about it you know on a month by month basis there and it just felt like the coolest thing going on in the in the world at that time and it was the, you were following it by magazine so you weren't actually like able to to watch it mm. but it was something that I always kind of felt that I was up with and then it was actually the first um it was the first trigger for me to do like tape trading just uh, just because I was yeah. I was like right I've got to see this you know sort of thing whereas I don't think that any you know anything before that I'd never I'd always kind of I don't know I suppose I'd always had those barriers up from a Japanese wrestling perspective and things like that from a trade tape trading point of view around the commentary and things like that. That was always something that was probably mm. for me and my team. So it was a bit of a barrier to, to, to getting into that, but this was like, it just felt like the coolest thing in the world. It was, you know, it was, a, it was American. There was familiar names there as well from like different places mm. that you'd, that you'd, you'd liked or you, or, or you knew things about. So I was trying to think what the first tape was that i got i think it was maybe double tables so i think that mm-hmm. i was looking and that was like 1995 that that double double tables was so i think that was the first tape that i got but then i was i just got a bit obsessed with sabu around that time again because it was one of those I where it was one. like oh, you know yeah. it was it was like seeing the photo you know seeing photos of him like you know do reading about him doing mental shit seeing the photos of him just looking so unique and like mm. scarred up and then and then so i think i got some like best of sabu tape and it was just like loads and loads of just sabus like stuff from ecw but then also just stuff from you know just from around the world and some indies and things like that so um around that time without being someone who was like it wasn't like i was then getting every pay-per-view like on on tape or anything like that it was something that i was kind of i'd get the odd one here and there but i always kind of felt connected to it because i was just following it through the magazines at that uh, at that point and mm. yeah for, for me and you're like your late teens it just felt like cool as fuck when you're you know, you, you know when you're coming off the back of what the WWF product was morphing into at that time. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you had the w, uh, WCW run there where Hogan had come in there and things around that time as well. So that was very much changing what that product was all about and things. It was it was probably something that just, like, held me there, really, in, in my wrestling fandom mm-hmm. and just, like, transitioned me into that attitude era because I think maybe without ECW, there's every chance that I might have just... I might have just dropped off altogether at that point. At that, at that point, to be to be honest. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of like it was like an oasis for like hardcore fans, wasn't it? You know, we've yeah. talked about in the past, haven't we, JP? About like, uh, you know, for me personally as a teenager, loved going to like HMV and Virgin and browsing the uh, the ECW videos. You know, I had my own version of rental that I've talked about before, where I'd buy them as a as a fifteen year old with my money and then return them and be like, yeah, I didn't like it, and they they'd either give you your money back or let you just swap for another tape. I kept that system going for a good couple of years. It was the original uh, torrenting for me that uh, VHS system in HMV, but like that was how I experienced it though, like with ECW. It was like obviously I was aware of the we've talked about it before, the, the stuff on Bravo. Um especially like the half hour show when it was like lots of raving and, t- and um 
and Stevie Richards and the BWO stuff and that. And then they had they were on Bravo properly at like a, a point later on with a with a full length show, but it wasn't really real time by by ECW followers. It was that it was through going. It was like same as you, Gareth. Magazines. It was you know being aware it was happening, and then years later, going not even years later, a couple of years later, watching the tapes back. You know, probably after they 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 just gone bust. Um, but yeah, kind of similar for you, isn't it, JP? I don't know how much you were. Can't remember how much you were into uh, watching the old ECW tapes. Oh, it was it was similar to Gareth in the mm. sense that it was something you read about. It mm. seemed cool as fuck. Yeah. Then effectively it was one of the things that kept it it kept it meant that you got into tape trading Mm. because and you would do that and then in my case it was like there'd be ecw and then there'd be some japanese stuff and then Mm. that would be kind of everything that i'd be be ordering as well Mm. but it was bizarre because i was thinking about like like it, it was the thing that held me like i have to say between that really and i have to say like kind of superstars of wrestling slash power slam they were the things that kind of kept me as a wrestling fan because mm. then when WCW wasn't on the air, that made it that that little that bit more difficult. Mm. I didn't have Sky and wasn't interested in WWF. So it was the thing that like I probably would have fallen away if it wasn't for ECW. And then when the Attitude Era became big, you could see a lot of the stuff from ECW kind of helping popularize that as well. Mm. And so it kind of it kind of felt like you were in on a band that kind of became very big just that couple of years before it was like you were seeing the way that wrestling was going Mm -hmm. and then it ended up that way and it's not all good but it's just Mm -hmm. sort of very much of its time and yeah it was you mentioned touring that's how i watched ecw one night stands 2005 it was uh (laughs) oh you weren't watching it live it was live on subscribe box office wasn't it i think i do remember because that's the version we've all watched isn't it like the uh, i didn't have sky where i was living at that point oh okay that makes sense Uh, yeah yeah my eldest would have been about like me about nine months old Mm. so like the idea of sitting up and watching a pay-per-view was the stuff of a madman's (laughs) dreams really at that point in time Um, 